tonight with a prayer by, by Pastor David Love. Well, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much um, for the town council, for this town, for everybody that serves you, and especially the town council that serves in the capacity that they do. Lord, we know what your word tells us. Your word tells us that um, how pleasant it is when your brethren dwell in unity. And so, Father, I know that we all love children here tonight. That we all love kids. We all know that, for one, that uh, you're not mad at anybody. That you sent your son to die for everyone. And so you love everybody here. And so, Lord, I do want to pray that you would lead and guide and just show us a way that we could be unified as a town in the way that you have called us to be a light and a witness. And so, Father, I do pray for that. And I do pray for every single council member that when they go home tonight, um, that you just bless their families. I pray that they can enjoy the rest of this week. And, uh, Lord, that you just bless abundantly above all that we ask or think. I am very, very thankful for them. And I just ask once again that you just lead us and guide us in wisdom for all the decisions that need to be made here in this town. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, David. Um, this meeting is held in a connected meeting in accordance with town council electronic particip participation, connected and hybrid, hybrid meeting policy. I'll ask the town clerk for a roll call. Councilmember Hollingshead. Here. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Here. Councilmember Brooks. Present. Councilmember Dietz. Here. Mayor Pertimbracken. Here. Mayor Gray. Here. All are present. Thank you. Please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, First, I'd like to uh, welcome the Superintendent Kane and, uh, and, and her colleagues um, to make a presentation to Town Council. Thank you. I'll just wait for my presentation to load. Um, so again, I'm Superintendent Aaron Kane. Thank you so much for having us tonight um, with me tonight. I will actually, I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves. Becky, Becky Myers, School Board. Mike Peterson, president of the school board. Molly Milley, principal of Wildcat Mountain Elementary. Okay, um, thank you very much for having us tonight. I had no idea you were bringing a whole audience, so thank you for being here to everyone. Um, so we'd like to share with the town council a little bit about the state of our school district, um, what we're celebrating and what we're struggling with. 
So um, first of all, we have a lot to be proud of in Douglas County. Our schools took home 47 awards last year from the Colorado Department of Education for excellence. So that is for being a top achieving schools in the state of Colorado and top growing schools in the state of Colorado, um, including one of our high schools. We also have higher reading scores today in our district than we did pre-pandemic. So our educators are doing amazing things to continue to move our kids forward, to have recovered any learning loss that might have taken place. Um, and they are showing record amounts of growth and we're really, really excited for that. Our class of 2023, the class that graduated in May, which to me seems like yesterday, um, graduated with $118 million in scholarships. So we're really, really proud of our um, kids and all they have accomplished and of the great things our schools and the great opportunities our schools have been able to offer our students. I'd also like to talk for a moment about our work in career and technical education. We've done a great deal of work in Douglas County in career and technical education and we're really proud of what's been accomplished. As we know, not every um, student is going to go directly into college. There are a lot of pathways after high school and we wanna make sure that our students have the opportunity to capitalize on any of those pathways to set themselves up for higher education, for a career right after high school, or for both. Um, and so we've really done a lot of expansion of our career and technical education pathways. This school year, we are offering our students 52 programs, 22 industry certifications, and we have a record of 14,000 seats in career and technical education pathways for our juniors and seniors. We actually opened our brand new legacy campus very recently, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, our legacy campus, for those of you who do not know, is the former wildlife experience building. Um, I've been around in Douglas County long enough that I remember um, carting my three young children in strollers through the wildlife experience on a regular basis to get them out of the house and get them looking at things. Um, today, we were able to purchase that building for $10 million, which is a fraction of what that building is actually worth. Um, with the 2018 bond passed by our taxpayers, we were able to purchase the building and finish out part of it in order to add pathways for our students. So now uh, we have over 400, about 450 students, juniors and seniors, from all of our nine comprehensive high schools are able to access the Legacy Campus as part of their education twice a week to participate in one of the pathways that we have opened there. The pathways are really exciting. We've opened an aviation pathway where our students are actually working towards their small pilot license and learning what they need to know about aviation. Um, we have flight simulators that are extremely sophisticated thanks to our partnerships with industry. Um, they are learning architecture. They are learning um, culinary. We have healthcare pathways at the Legacy Campus to include EMT and EMS, as well as a certified nursing assistant program. So our students will actually be able to earn their CNA by the time they leave 12th grade. That means they can go directly to Sky Ridge or somewhere else and work as a CNA, or they can have a year leg up on nursing school if that's the path that they choose. Um, we also have a new teacher academy at the Legacy Campus that we're really um, particularly excited about in Douglas County School District, as we certainly want to make sure that we are preparing students for our industry, as well as for everyone else's industries. Um, and so we're really excited about all of those opportunities that we have been able to um, offer our students. 
We are, however, continuing to see challenges due to the disparity in funding between us and our neighboring districts with uh, nationwide shortages in many, many industries to include teachers, um, many of our, our custodians, certainly our bus drivers, which I will talk about a little bit. Um, those shortages are becoming very damaging for us since we also happen to be the lowest paying. So when you don't have enough applicants, when there are more seats than applicants, the lowest paying one does not typically win. Um, so I do want to just talk factually a little bit about how funding works um, in the state of Colorado for public education because it is not intuitive. Um, it is easy to assume that when we, local taxpayers, are paying more in taxes, I know my husband and I received our letter that our um, assessed value has gone up almost 60%, which is outrageous. Um, and we know all of our neighbors received similar letters as I'm sure did everyone in this room. It is easy to assume that all of that additional funding um, has a positive impact on the school district. School districts, however, are funded by both local property taxes and the state of Colorado. And so just to give you an analogy to help make this um, as understandable as possible, when my children were little, I have three children, my husband and I have been in Douglas County for 23 years. Um, when our kids were little, they got an allowance of $10 each every week. I am perpetually known, still perpetually known for not having cash ever. And my kids would come to me first and for their allowance. And if I had $3 for each of them, that's what they got. They each got $3 for me and then they would go to my husband and get the other $7. And then the next week, I might be able to give them each $6 from my wallet, and then they would go to my husband and get the other $4. That is how school funding works. We are given an allowance under the School Finance Act. Part of that allowance is paid by the local taxpayers, and part of that allowance is paid by the state of Colorado. So even though the amount that came out of my wallet the second week doubled, my children still got $10 each um, because my husband gave them less and so it came up to $10 and that is exactly how the interplay between local taxes and state taxes work in terms of our allowance under the School Finance Act. Um, under the same analogy, my children do have, did have, the option of asking grandma. Um, and when they ask grandma, then maybe they can get an extra movie out of the deal. Um, the equivalent of asking grandma for school districts is asking for a mill levy override, which overrides our allowance that is allowed per the School Finance Act, the same way that my kids can override their $10 allowance by having a chat with grandma if they're lucky, maybe both grandmas. Um, so that's, that's how school funding works, and many districts do ask for mill levy overrides. Um, this is a comparative funding graph per student for different districts. On the left, you see Denver, Jeffco, Littleton, Cherry Creek, and Douglas County. The black boxes represent our allowance under the School Finance Act. The balance of whose wallet the allowance comes out of varies a little bit by district, whether it's local, which is blue, or the state, which is green. So that balance varies by district. But the black box is each district's allowance. The gray is the, uh, represents the um, dollars through a local mill levy override. That is uh, why Douglas County 
County School District is unable to be competitive. Um, our mill levy override is $2,000 per student less than our neighbors across County Line Road, Littleton and Cherry Creek. Um, as a result, that's equivalent to a $130 million funding gap if you multiply $2,000 by 63,000 students. It's about $131 million. So that is why we are struggling to get teachers, bus drivers, um, and all other classifications of employees. Um, I often get the question, how did this happen? How did we get here? And so this graphic shows over time, the left is 2009. This is mill levy override dollars per student because our allowance from the state for all of these districts is really similar. Where the variation is, is in the mill levy overrides. You can see in 2009, they were pretty close together. We were, we were the furthest down, but we also run an incredibly lean school district, more so than our neighbors. And so we were able to be competitive in 2009, 10, 11, 12, but as time moved forward and other mill levy overrides continue to be passed by other districts, you can see that gap became significant. Today, the average teacher salary in Douglas County School District is $20,000 a year less than our neighbors in Littleton and Cherry Creek. Um, likewise, our starting salary for a college degreed professional is $45,209, um, which you cannot live on in Douglas County. Cherry Creek's starting salary for a college degreed professional teacher is, as of a few days ago, is 58,700 approximately, which is actually more than our average. Um, so this is a this has been a tremendous challenge for us, and it was urgent last year, and this year um, it's incredibly critical. So um, that is that is just the facts of how our funding um, actually works. Staff recommended to the Board of Education last week to consider putting um, ballot initiatives on in November for a $66 million mill levy override that would be used to pay more competitively. It would result in approximately 9% increases. Uh, a $484 million bond to build schools in school deserts and to expand career and technical education, safety and security, et cetera. Um, the net impact to taxpayers, if both of those initiatives pass, is an additional $20 a year per 100,000 in home value. So if you have a million dollar home, the impact is $200 a year um, to local taxpayers. So uh, the Board of Education did indeed vote to put that on the ballot. Um, I have a slide here on arguments for and against, certainly this is a really hard time to be asking for a tax increase given that we are all um, enduring tax increases already. And um, so this is just a little bit about what uh, staff has recommended to the Board of Education. And then before I hand it over to um, our board members, um, Molly Milley here is one of our um, wonderful school principals. And she's going to talk factually for a moment about um, what, she is, what she and her colleagues are seeing in terms of their ability to hold on to teachers. Thanks, Erin. Um, I have uh, been a principal in Douglas County and uh, started my teaching career here um, 25 years ago uh, as a student teacher and then into teaching and then on to administration. I am absolutely obsessed and love Douglas County School District. Uh, one of my proudest moments is to have been, become a principal. When, we, when I first started as a teacher, it was a hard to get job in Douglas County because everybody wanted to teach in Douglas County. Uh, and it 
was a huge, huge point of pride to be able to, to proudly say that I worked here. Uh, it still is, very much so. But now I am seeing, uh, from the 13 years that I have been a principal at Wildcat Mountain, I have seen my job pool go from hundreds of applicants uh, 13 years ago to now in the single digits, maybe if I'm lucky into the teens, because I simply do not have enough applicants. I really equated last hiring season to the Hunger Games, uh, because I was trying as quickly as possible to hire the best people as possible before they could go to another district, before someone else could woo them. Uh, I had several teachers that did uh, want to come to my school, thank goodness, and they're amazing, uh, but they took a pay cut, and they're actually very very much uh, knowing that because this ballot measure is on, uh, going to be on the ballot, that's something that they are hoping is going to swing, uh, honestly, in their way, because if it doesn't, they know that they cannot make ends meet and continue to teach in Douglas County. It's just a simple fact that they just cannot live um, on the salary that we're giving them, and I'm grateful that they took a pay cut, but I don't think uh, the education of our kids uh, needs to be compromised when we are dealing with um, educating all of our staff, our, our kids, and, and needing the best staff. So super lucky, but it would be really helpful to pay them more. <laughs> um, one of the other impacts that we're seeing that I'm sure people in this room have been impacted by are the bus drivers. Um, we are down 104 bus drivers this year. So that is 104 bus driver jobs that have no bus driver in the job um, because there is a bus driver, sh a driver shortage, commercial driver shortage in general. And again, be when you're the lowest paying and there are fewer applicants uh, or fewer positions than applicants. Did I say that right? The other way around? Fewer applicants than positions. Um, it's really hard to get applicants, and so we just have no applicants for bus driving. And as a result, we are on a rolling blackout schedule. So bus on for, uh, for four weeks, bus off for a week, which is really impactful to our families as a mom of uh, three kids who uh, from a dual working household. Um, I can't even imagine, and certainly we will turn that around the moment that we are able to, but we are working towards that. Um, with that, I'd like to hand it over to our Board of Education directors. Yeah, from a Board of Education perspective, not only down 104 bus drivers, we're down 155 EAs, and EAs are our educational assistants. A lot of those work with our students with special needs. When you look how Douglas County has historically performed, we've been the number one district uh, based on standardized testing, everything in the Denver metro area, pretty much across the board. We've recovered all the learning loss. In fact, down here in Douglas County, we didn't even really have learning loss. We just kind of plateaued a little bit and then picked it back up. When you look at what happened at the end of last school year, at that critical third grade benchmark where we know if a student does not read on grade level at third grade, 75% of those students go on to never read at grade level all the way through 12th grade. We have 87% uh, of our third graders at the end of last year reading at or above grade level. So it's incredible what we're producing. But we're moving, as the superintendent said, from urgent last year into crisis. Last year we were able to run 98% of our bus routes down 60 some drivers. Now that we're down 104 drivers you know the, the I want to say the wheels are falling off the bus maybe literally uh, with the miles on them but we have these rolling blackouts what we're about to see here with the uh, the absence of the teachers in the flight north again think about it our average pay is is fifty eight thousand dollars starting pay in Cherry Creek is $58,000. That is huge. The School Finance Act this year won up across Colorado. Why? National teacher shortage in Colorado historically has been $1,000 to $2,000 less per pupil revenue.
revenue than the rest of the country. Traditionally, we rank in usually the bottom 10 states in terms of spending per pupil on education. So that rising tide lifted all school districts. That's not the problem we're solving here in Douglas County. The problem we're having is being an extreme outlier. And if you do the simple math on the MLO, 66,000 with a good chunk of that going to increase and maintain security, especially in our, in our elementary schools, it works out to be about $1,000 per student. So we're not even really asking to close that gap. We're just asking to cut the gap in half to make us more competitive. Because what I think is at stake here is really you have to ask yourself, it's tough time for taxpayers. Everybody's wallets are being squeezed in this economy. But when you really just simplify it, we're looking at do you want 75, 100, or $200 off on your taxes and potentially put this school district at risk, which puts our housing prices ultimately at risk, which puts the future of Douglas County at risk, or are you willing to invest right now somewhere between $100 for a half million assessed value, $200 for the whole year for a million dollar assessed home value to invest in this district? Because I'll tell you, the future of Douglas County is literally sitting in our classrooms today. You heard about those CTE programs, future nurses, future future construction, future lawyers, more importantly, future neighbors are sitting in our classrooms today and where they go is where Douglas County is going to go. So a small investment in schools today will ensure Douglas County School District remains the number one in the Denver metro area. Then we'll take our shot at number one in the state. We just need to be competitive. And then I see Mayor Gray smiling. And then we'll take shot at number one in the nation. But to do that, we just need to be competitive because right now we are, we are actually hemorrhaging. The words that you've probably heard out of the board last year was we need to attract, retain, and then support our staff, we've got to reverse those. We just have to retain now. We are hemorrhaging. We have got to stop the bleeding first. Then we can attract, and we will do so with the culture down here. And then we can get into things like paper performance and rewards and things, but we just have to stop the bleeding. Director Myers. Good evening. As a 30-year residence in Castle Rock resident, we moved here in 1993 and I started substitute teaching. I went back into the classroom. In 1997, when we opened Ranch View Middle School in Thunder Ridge, back then we were building school after school after school. Opened my department and stayed there till I retired. Bo both of my children went to Castle Rock uh, to Rockridge Elementary, Castle Rock Middle School, graduated Douglas County High School. I now have three grandchildren living in Crystal Valley with no school. And my last one just went into kindergarten. Their mom is a teacher in Douglas County. And she's going to stay here, and it's and she loves it. They've lived here. They're natives. And we need to take care of our teachers. And I challenge you, please, go visit our schools. When you walk into our schools, our teachers are doing an awesome job. We are academically excellent. When I came into this district, that's all they talked about, and that's why we came here, and we want to keep that momentum going, and our accolades are showing exactly what our teachers are doing, and they've got smiles on their faces every day. Thank you. So the last ask I'll make, the superintendent and Principal Milley can only give you education on what's going on, what will happen, what won't happen. But as a board member, I'm looking hopefully for the support of the town council and the mayor uh, as you considered last year in supporting the funding for the district because you're not just supporting the district, you're supporting all of Douglas County. Superintendent. That concludes our presentation and certainly would open it up to you all. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Bracken.
So, well, well, thank you, thank you all for coming. Um, so, the the prior school district uh, town council requested them to come present to us, based on the the questions that we're getting as community leaders. So, just so the folks know that are here today in the seats, we don't decide the school board funding. We don't decide how they operate or what they do or how they go about their business. This is a courtesy update back to town council. And um, we were declined that opportunity uh, by, the, by the prior school board and it, it essentially left us as community leaders to convey whatever experience that they're having with the school district, either having kids in there, what they've read or what they've heard. So this is really refreshing. And then as soon as Erin uh, Kane, the superintendent, took uh, you know took her role uh, as superintendent, she came and enlisted town council to support uh, to support the ballot measures to talk about this exact funding. Well, town council did support. Um, the majority supported, and not all of town council um, supported the ballot measures, but the majority did. So, um, you know, going through that process and listening to, you know, what your, your what your pain is helps us as community leaders to be able to reach out, reach back, and be able to explain what's happening, why it's happening, and 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 when folks are making those decisions on behalf of their kids, their 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 their, their residents, as in teachers and, and, and parents, in, in my opinion, good schools equal good neighborhoods. And that's the bottom line for me. So I appreciate the update and uh, we thank you guys for coming in. Thank you. Any more questions or comments for the Tim Dietz? Yeah, I just thank you guys. And, and having a, a wife who's been a teacher here for 20 years, whatever, we're, again, as I said last time, we're dedicated to Douglas County. It's up to her when she wants to stop. We, we had to do something similar with a taper timeout. Without that taper timeout, that money helps folks keep our best police and fire personnel. We were able to give them raises, we are able to give them equipment, build a new fire station. That's what the school board needs to do too. Of course, it's up, up to you folks at the ballot to decide, not town council here, but I, I'm going to be supporting it, so thank you. Thank you. Ryan Hollinshead. Yeah, thank you guys for coming in, and uh, for those of you, we're all here for kids tonight, and these people sitting right here, they're, they're pounding the pavement every day uh, to do what's right for our kids in this community. It's uh, exhausting hours. You did it all last year, and you signed up to do it again this year, so we appreciate uh, you guys you know, doing that for our, our district. My other hat in life is a principal in this district as well, and uh, the things they talked about are, are real. You know, losing your best 10 teachers every year uh, to another school district, those are the most impactful people in the world to those kids for eight hours a day, and they're just disappearing um, left and right. So um, it's it's a real thing, and we, we can do better as a county for sure. So um, I'd like to move that we uh, put on the ballot for next uh, board meeting or, or town council meeting uh, to consider supporting uh, this bond and mill measure. That'll give us time to um, review these these presentations and notes and get a little more information. I know there's information on the district website and some videos that explain it as well. So I'd just like to consider that for next meeting. I would second that motion with the caveat that staff review the information and advise us as well. Thank you. I have a first from Ryan Hollins and a second from Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Any further discussion? Max Brooks. As always, I support the discussion. Thank you for the motion. Thank you. Again, thank you. I know that I talked to Aaron earlier last week, and I talked to Michael on and off for a while. Um, and again, uh, I know you guys are working really hard, and I do appreciate it. We have a first and a second. Roll call vote, please.
Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember KV? Yes, for discussion only. Councilmember LaFleur? In honor of the kiddos, yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Potem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you, and thank you again for coming tonight. Thank you so much again for having us and, and we are truly thankful to the town of Castle Rock for your partnership um, with our school district. We look forward to handing over Cantrell officially tomorrow. Thank you very much. We move on to number two on the, on the uh, agenda, proclamation 2023-9, proclamation for the 35th anniversary of Douglas County Land Conservancy. Whereas Douglas County Conservancy was formed in 1987 as a local nonprofit land um, trust dedicated to, pro to, pro to protect protection and conservation of natural character and habitats and ecosystems and open space in Douglas County and other areas in the Front Range region in Colorado. And whereas Douglas County Conservancy is now national accredited by land trust accreditation commission and certified land trusts in the state of Colorado, and whereas Douglas County Land Conservancy efforts to protect and conservation values of agricultural lands, public recreation, open space, scenic viewscapes, cultural resources, critical wildlife habitat, and wetlands has resulted in a permanent protection of 26,757 acres of D Douglas County Jeffco and Elbert counties. And whereas the town of Castle Rock's partnership with Douglas County Land Conservancy since 2003 has permanently protected the Woodlands um, Bowl, Cora Mesa, Metzler's family open space properties, and whereas the protection of natural scenic open space aesthetic is ecological, environmental, and historical, and wildlife values of protected property can be of great importance to the town of Castle Rock and its citizens, and whereas the town of Castle Rock appreciates and recognizes Douglas County Land Conservancy to protect Castle Rock's open spaces and properties. And now, therefore, I, Jason Gray, Mayor of the Town of Castle Rock, do hereby proclaim 2023 as Douglas County Land Conservancy's 35th anniversary. Mayor and Council, just wanted to share a few thoughts with you about uh, Douglas Land Conservancy and their value here within the community from our Parks and Recreation Department and from the town. Um, congratulations to Laura and her staff. They've done an incredible job. Um, 35 years of service to this community has absolutely been outstanding for an organization to be around that much and be that influential. Um, this is an, ex is an outstanding example of a citizen initiative really um, to meet a community need that's been going on for some time. So one of the things that you all know is that community partnerships allow us to go ahead and leverage our public resources. And it's, it's no difference for DLC. They've done a great job of allowing us to go ahead and leverage those resources. We've been able to accomplish some great conservation goals and some recreation goals through their uh, work here in providing conservation easements. Um, and as you all know, and as our community survey shows, Castle Rock loves its open space. The interesting thing about this is that 
of those 20 some thousand acres that DLC manages, 51% of that is available to you by trail or recreational opportunities. So that's absolutely a fantastic accomplishment on their part. So if you think about some of the properties that we have with them, we have uh, Woodlands Bowl, we have Quarry Mesa, and the recently added Metzler Family Open Space. So we appreciate their involvement in, uh, in providing those conservation easements for us. So just, just as kind of a final thought, um, their work, their conservation has been far reaching. It's preserved the character of Douglas County for the better and forever. So thank you to DLC. David? Okay. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Next we have council comments. I know that uh, Desi LaFleur has something to say first and I will follow Desi. Go ahead, Desi. Thank you, Mayor Gray. And thank you uh, everybody for being here tonight. Appreciate it. As we all know, the issue of town code provisions and jurisdiction concerning public sexual issues such as public nudity, public indecency, and indecent exposure in public places has been extensively discussed. I support a review of town laws and procedures on this topic, provided that the town is not singling out a particular group, event, or viewpoint on this issue. My support for strong public safety in the community is unchallenged and it includes everyone, including our children. It is not appropriate to focus on one group when these issues can and will involve everyone. Indecent, obscene behavior is not group or event specific. To that end, I would like to move that town staff bring the issue of town code, state laws, and related town policies governing the issue of public nudity, public indecency, and indecent, obscene exposure in public places back to a future town council meeting for September 19th. Second. I have a first by Councilmember Lafleur, uh, a second by Councilmember Cavey. Further discussion? Seeing none, roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember KV. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Potem Bracken. Yes. Mayor Gray. Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Thank you, Council. Um, I'm, I'm next up. Um, you know, I, uh, I want to thank everyone for, for, for first for coming out. Um, it's it's important that you guys have a voice and you feel like you're heard, uh, no matter what your voice is, no matter what we agree with or don't agree with. Um, I think that it's important that everybody feels like they had their voice in Castle Rock. Um, second is um, I'd like to uh, you know do a, a couple quotes here. Um, from the late um, Martin Luther King. Um, they're not exact quotes, but they're close. Uh, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And I have decided not, I have decided to stick to love because hate is too great of a burden to bear. I think that when it all comes down to it, um, hopefully everybody in this room 
um, can figure out how we can love each other, respect each other, uh, respect our opinions, um, and respect what goes on in Castle Rock, Douglas County, the state, and the country. Um, I do really, very really appreciate everyone being here, um, and I will go over some uh, unscheduled public appearances uh, discussion just a little bit. Next up, I have Ryan Hollinshead. Ryan Hollinshead. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, I, I know we're all here uh, because of what happened last year and, and a few years ago, and, and the indecent exposure that took that place by at the drag show. Um, and I, I tried to say this before, maybe not clearly, but I, I don't think anyone in this room thinks that's okay for kids, right? And we don't want that kind of thing to ever happen again. And that's why we're here and we're unified in that. Um, and I think it's just a matter of, of, of you know, we've kind of been discussing of of how we get that to stop. Um, the reason I voted no in the past, and and still will. Would love some uh, education from some of you guys. If there's something more than indecent exposure we're talking about here um, towards children, is that our, our county commissioners got together with the, the Pride Fest organizers to reestablish these boundaries, to reestablish the, the rental agreement, and and to try to remedy the situation. And and I, I believe that. Uh, and, and the pressure from this community on this group has also been very clear. And that's what we do in this, this country, right? Is we, we voice things when they're wrong and we want things to be corrected. Uh, I believe this year that the, the event is going to go off and we're not going to have the same issue and the problem will be solved. Or it, it goes bad and something bad happens and that group isn't welcome back. And then the problem is also solved. And so that's why, to me, it's been a very simple issue of do the right thing or, or don't be back here again. And that we have things in place and the county commissioners did their due diligence with addressing that. Um, you know, some of you guys are, are here tonight because that you believe that anyone just dressed in, in drag um, shouldn't be allowed. You know, I'm not sure that, that we can go there as, as a community, right? Okay, and I hope not. They're good. So I look forward to hearing these arguments. Um, you know, I think we, if, we, if we get rid of the lewd behavior that we have a problem with, then we solve the problem. If there are other issues in our town that we have not talked about that we need to consider for our meeting, I'd love to hear what those things are, that we've had issues in the past in our community, that there's other things going on that we're not aware of. Certainly we'd love to hear those. Um, I know there's good intention in this room, but I also think that we need to give parents a little bit of credit. This community is very passionate about parent choice and parents being able to decide for their kids what is right for their kids. Um, we have laws that, per, that recommend you should not take kids to rated R movies, and yet parents still do. Um, we, we have most of our sixth graders in this community have cell phones with internet access and social media and many parents do not have filters on those things or pay attention and kids see horrible things, right? But we trust those parents, it's their kid and, and we try to educate them as a community but these things happen, right? And so I would just like to say that these parents who are taking their kids to this Pride Fest are buying a ticket for their children, they're going in, they, they know what a drag show is and they're having conversations with their, their children. You know, and so I think we need to, to, to respect that those decisions that the, those parents are making, uh, obviously not exposing their kids to indecent exposure and, and to overtop things. So I applaud this group for speaking up. I think this is what we all need to do. I don't think we're all pulling in the wrong direction. I may sound like it tonight, but I, I, I'm curious to hear other arguments for what other restrictions should be in place because I think this issue mm -hmm. will be solved and I trust our county commissioners and the Pride Fest organizers. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Laura Cavey. Thanks, Mayor. Um, just one kind of comment, and Dave, I might need your direction on this. Um, since we seem to have solved the issue of jurisdiction, meaning Castle Rock has jurisdiction, 
the Douglas County Fairgrounds sits within our town boundary. That any event going forward at the fairgrounds, we should have our Castle Rock police present. I don't know if that is a motion. I don't know if that's just a request or a discussion. Um, I'm kind of looking to you. Sure. For no, it's, it's 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 a very valid question and and comment, and um, we can talk about that now with uh, Chief Colley, and he can um, describe um, what our understanding is. Not really so much on jurisdiction, but just law enforcement presence on the site. You are correct, as, as we have talked over the weeks. I mean, you articulated correctly. The town has jurisdiction over the portions of the fairgrounds that are in the town corporate limits. And not to be, not trying to go off into a cute area, but there's a portion of some of the play, the play fields, not the fairground structures that's not in the town, it's just an unincorporated enclave. But for, for our purposes, you're exactly correct. We have jurisdiction for that. When, when you read the, um, uh, the, the county event guidelines, it makes reference to our dog ordinances, you have to have it on a leash, noise ordinance. So the, the county recognizes it, liquor laws. Uh, we, we have that, that level of, of, of jurisdiction. Um, Chief Colley can talk about just generally the, um, it's, it's an understanding, there's no intergovernmental agreement that says we won't be there as law enforcement. It's just, I think it's as much tradition, which you all can direct accordingly, um, tradition in regards to that the sheriff deputies um, patrol that facility when it's in, in use. Um, and then we are secondary in, in response. Very, very similar to their uh, presence in um, some of the county buildings here um, as well. Um, but um, Jack can come up and, and talk about that. That's, that's the extent of, of, of my knowledge in regards to um, the, the police department's um, presence and the sheriff department's presence on, on the fairgrounds property. Uh, good evening, Mayor and members of council. Um, town manager is exactly correct. We do have co-jurisdiction. Actually, there's tri-jurisdiction if you really want to think about it because the state patrol also has jurisdiction there too. Uh, traditionally, the uh, sheriff's office has handled the policing duties at the fairgrounds as well as the other county buildings. So for example, if, we, if there was an incident right now at the, the county building, um, the sheriff's office would, would handle that. So they, the same is true for the fairgrounds and any of the other county-owned buildings. That's just kind of how we, we have agreed to do that. Um, we have the same agreement with the state patrol. So the state patrol handles most of the crashes on the highway. We have jurisdiction on, in some of those areas, but we have a agreement with them that they handle the crashes on the highways. That allows our resources to focus on the 33 square miles of Castle Rock that isn't highway. They're, they're experts in that area and there's reasons why we do that. It wasn't always that way. Uh, that, that's, that's certainly um, somewhat recent. I've had a discussion just recently, the, 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 the Sheriff Weekly and I talked about this specifically um, in the last week or so and uh, reaffirmed what our agreement is on, on that. They, they do have more resources than we do uh, as far as being able to handle those, those types of, of assignments. The, the amount 
of, of, of events that happens at the fairgrounds is pretty significant. Um, we have our own events here in town that is pretty significant as far as volume is concerned. Um, our officers work those for security, as you all know. Um, a lot of the duties, uh, when they are working those, those events, are actually off-duty. Those, you know, those officers are on their day off, their, their time off, to handle those. Um, you know, certainly, if we ask them to do the same for the fairgrounds, that's, I don't even know if it's doable. Um, you know, we, we don't want to burn them out, and the system that we have works very, very well. Uh, the, the county, again, they have jurisdiction there, so they can be there. They handle it. We've had no problems. If there is an incident that occurs at the county uh, fairgrounds or any other area that they are providing security for or law enforcement services, and they need our help, they call us. Um, we call them to help us, they call us. So we have a very, very good partnership, a very, very good working relationship with the sheriff and, and the sheriff um, team, and, and it works for us. So that, that's traditionally how, how it's worked, and um, we, we again reaffirmed our agreement, and that's where we stand today. Chief Lemon Clerk, it's a, it's a verbal understanding. There's, right. a, there's, not, there's no written agreement in regards to that. But that's that's the relationship that we have. In um, I thank you, Chief, for explaining that. But I don't I don't know if that's if you want to direct us otherwise or not. So is that mostly due to a resources issue? Well, traditionally, it's been like that forever, like as, as long as anybody can remember. But speaking for it, as we sit here today, that would be a resource issue for us. Um, again, it's actually a strain on our resources just to provide the, the services that we do for all of our special events. And we all know how often we have those. To, to take on the, the events at the fairgrounds, we would need more resources. And, and as you know, we don't have as much as we need now. And we can certainly use more. All right. Thank you, Chief Colley. I appreciate it. You're thank welcome. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Max Brooks. Uh, a couple of things. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, first, there's a, um, uh, an elderly lady in, in our neighborhood that uh, she's a widower, and we, we try to kind of help out with some of her um, uh, kind of day-to-day -day items and some of the things that uh, tend to be sometimes a little confusing for her. Uh, I would encourage everybody... Uh, please do ensure you're, t you're keeping very, very close attention to your uh, communications from your insurance companies. Uh, her insurance company dropped her, uh, and she didn't know it. Uh, now, this was effective one September, uh, and we caught it at the beginning of August, so we've been able to get her set up with an insurance broker and make sure that she's not going to be with, a, with that uh, home insurance. But all of the hail claims recently have put insurance companies in a position to where if they don't feel like uh, like you're paying enough for your home insurance, they can't take you from, say, $2,000 a month to $4,000 a month through state statute. They can only increase you marginally, uh, and they may decide that that's too much of a risk 
and just outright drop you. Uh, I have an insurance expert next to me, and so he's kind of nodding. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, but uh, I just want to encourage everybody to please just keep very, very close attention to your insurance statements because uh, the one thing that we can't afford is to be without insurance on our home. Uh, one other item. Uh, it, uh, it came to my attention very recently uh, through a constituent in my district that, and I'm glad all of you are here tonight to hear this because I would like to think that this is something that would probably grab your attention, uh, that the library, the new library that is uh, about to open later this month, the board of trustees, library board of trustees, plans to drop the Philip S. Miller name from the naming convention of the library. Now, you can do your own research. I'm not going to go into it you know, ad nauseum, but Philip S. Miller, as you can tell from county buildings as well as Castle Rock buildings here, has had a significant contribution, continues to have a significant contribution to our community. Uh, there is a, a charitable trust the library still re uh, receives money from. Castle Rock receives money from that charitable trust, Douglas County the fair, 4-H, uh, it is, uh, it, it's a very generous charitable trust and Philip S. Miller has been a integral part of development here in Castle Rock to the point where he retired all of the library debt before his, before his death in the late 1980s is when he retired the debt to the tune of over a half million dollars. So with that, I believe that we should encourage, as a town and as a town council, we should strongly encourage the Board of Trustees to keep the Philip S. Miller name in the library. I, I would like to ask that everybody get involved. There will be a meeting at the end of September, uh, September 27th, 5.30 p.m., September 27th, 5.30. Right now, that meeting is scheduled for the Parker Library. I believe that they're going to switch it to, hopefully, what will be called the Philip S. Miller Library. Uh, if you're not able to attend in person and express your interest in being able to retain that name, uh, I would ask that you send an email to Bob Pashnick. He's the executive director of the library. He's actually requested that the emails go to him, Bob P. at DCL at DouglasCountyLibraries.org. Uh, so please get involved. Uh, I would also ask that council members, uh, that if you're able to attend, Mayor, uh, on, that, on that evening, I think it would be fantastic for them to hear from us as well. Uh, but I would like to make a motion that uh, town council uh, please ask the staff to craft a letter uh, to ask and urge the trustees of the library board to retain the, Phil the Philip S. Miller name in their naming convention of the second. library. I have a first from Max Brooks, a second from uh, Councilmember Dietz. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Oh, I'm sorry. I've skipped what two. about Council me? Councilmember LaFleur, sorry. <laughs> Councilmember LaFleur, thank you. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Potem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Councilmember Dietz? And again, and again, that that date for the library thing was September 27th at 530. <clears throat> Mine is, I, I, I'm very happy with council that we're gonna have some future discussion and direction. I still do have some comments um, on public safety and wellness in that area. Our children, and I spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff. It goes from 16 pages to two, et cetera, et cetera. But our children, they remind us of innocence. Children, as they grow up, learn and experience things. All of their needs are in adult hands. 
They, the children, depend on us as parents, grandparents, friends, family, and even a good neighbor nearby. Sure, good and bad things happen in life. Children laugh, they cry, mainly just wanting to play and enjoy being young. <clears throat> From childhood to middle-aged youth and then 18 as a legal adult. During that time, we should protect them, doing our best to keep them from harm's way. Why would we blatantly expose children to manners of adult life? And I say blatantly. A, ch a, child, uh, a child brought to something without clearly understanding or able to decide or comprehend is not okay. Even at 18 and older, life is hard enough to navigate through and make uh, well thoughts and decisions clearly, but to bring children into the darker sides of life, like drugs, alcohol, over-sexualization, too early in life, there will be consequences. Now and later, possibly for life, young children and even teenagers who don't understand it properly yet, they don't understand it properly yet. We have laws, jurisdictional ordinances. They're needed, why? Because as adults, we do the wrong things at times. Laws should protect minors because adults don't think clearly. Here in Castle Rock in Douglas County, they're using a public taxpayer-funded facility for a sexual event. As elected politicians, we can do something and not worry about self-preservation. Act for decency and don't equivocate. We all have a story, a background in life. God cares about all of them, every single one. Yet, however, I ask again, why the need for 18 and under? Please acquiesce to that fact. It seems to be purposeful and uh, to go after the children. I see news posts and pride groups chanting, we are coming for your children. They chant that. I don't please, want, please, please. I don't want any type of sexual show in Castle Rock, let alone in front of children. Their past behavior speaks for itself, yet however, I look forward to continue conversation with council. Thank you very much, everybody. Yeah, thank you, Mayor. So, um, yeah, sure. I, I think the the concept and the the matter that's been discussed. Everybody wants kids safe, right? I mean, there's nobody here that doesn't want kids safe. Okay. The the thing about and I love your signs, and uh, and I do appreciate everybody being here. We've been having the discussion. We've been having the discussion for over five months. We've been having meetings. We've been having meetings with the county commissioners, with the county lawyer, and we've been discussing this issue. 
So one thing to understand, so, you, so everybody that's sitting here needs to understand this because it's very important to, to the discussion. We are going to discuss the town of Castle Rock's ordinance, not the county ordinance, okay? So think about it like this. When you go overseas and you walk in to the, to the, uh, uh, sorry, the, uh, the embassy, you walk into Poland, you walk into Russia, when you walk into the embassy, what rules apply to that property? It is the embassy's rules, okay? So, we can change, we can have a discussion, and we can change the ordinance, which is in the town of Castle Rock. But when you walk into the county fairgrounds, those rules apply. Chief Culley just said, when you walk, and, and that's why I was a no before in this, because it, what we're trying to change right now will not affect the county fairgrounds and the Pride Fest. And I think that that's what the folks, that is true, ma'am. It is true. It's 100% true. You can bring Chief Culley back up, and he will explain to you when you call the police, the sheriff's department shows up, and their county ordinance apply. If you go to the dog park at the, at the county ground, believe me, I've been in meetings and meetings on this. Meetings and meetings. When you go to the dog park, the Castle Rock PD applies to that for some reason. But when you call the police, the sheriff's department shows up to the county ground. So what we're, so here, here, just clarity, right? That was an example, okay, with the Poland and Russia example. What we're going to review and change, it is somebody is, has indecent exposure at Festival Park at one of our other park, at Philip S. Miller Park. That's what we're going to be reviewing. This will not apply. This will not apply to the county fairgrounds and Pride Fest, what we're deciding on in our future agenda. And by the way, our future agenda discussion, this was the proper way to forward a future agenda item. Not bringing a title or written ordinance or direction to town council during this time, during council comments, to put it on a future agenda, the same, the same comment that I made to council member Hollingshead. Yes, if staff reviews that information and reports back to us and we're able to weigh in on what the school district had to say, I heard it firsthand, so that, that, that's a leg up, right? But if I'm able to weigh in on that information, then we can have a proper discussion. Then we can weigh in and have a vote and have it make sense. But the way that things have happened and rolled out for this discussion, in particular with a certain council member, was very inappropriate in our process and was a very dis divisive and blindsiding strategy. And now we have a good strategy, and I'm glad you folks were here to find that strategy. And I look forward to the discussion. I really do. But also know but it's the discussion about the town of Castle Rock ordinance not applying to that particular event. Um, and I'd like to ask our, our town lawyer, um, Mr. Hyman, is, is that accurate in that this ordinance will now only apply to the town of Castle Rock within a jurisdiction and not to that event in particular, correct? Well, just to distinguish, the, the laws of Castle Rock apply throughout the entire uh, town, all of Annex proper, property. Um, 
certainly we have no, what I wanted, and, and I think you were correct in saying though, that we have no jurisdiction over, if that's an accurate term, we have no jurisdiction over the rules that a county uh, puts into place with regard to the operation of its facilities, okay? So they own the facility just like any property owner. So I can't tell the county how to run their facilities, but I can certainly, uh, uh, adopt ordinances that apply, just like uh, Mr. Corliss mentioned, and, and certainly the county recognizes those ordinances. Like, uh, for example, the uh, dogs on leash uh, ordinance, which uh, has to a dog has to be on the leash at the fairgrounds. So there are certain things when we talk about the uh, uh, criminal code uh, that the Castle Rock. Uh, uh, town councils adopted and enforced over the years through the municipal court. All those rules apply throughout the entire town. It's that's that's really the distinction. I want to make sure that everybody understands that fine distinction. Sure. No, so it's okay. a, fair enough. Yeah, the, the comment I was going to make that maybe make a little bit more of a, a more precise point on this. The town doesn't have a uh, public nudity law. There's a state nudity. Well, actually, nudity yes. Law, uh, the there's the a state. Indecent exposure public, and indecent exposure public law. indecency law. We don't have a, an indecent exposure law. If we would have a local indecent exposure law, it would apply to the fairgrounds. That that is correct, uh, uh, Dave. I think the uh, the the issue is, uh, you know, our police department has the authority to enforce those state laws. Uh, it's a matter of where the ticket is adjudicated, whether it be a county court or a district court if it's a state law, or a municipal court if it's a local law. Uh, the punishments are different, for example, in a, uh, if, if a law is, provides for a felony punishment, mm -hmm. it cannot be prosecuted through a municipal court. There's a very lengthy case law. Uh, that says that criminal jurisdiction is a matter of mixed state and local concern and that the municipal courts cannot encroach on the state's felony jurisdiction. But if we adopt a municipal offense, which I've always likened it akin to a petty offense, we do have the power to enforce those in the town and can enforce them through the municipal court just across the block. In, in the town. So when, when everyone clapped, we are not the state. So even if we put and change the ordinance for the town, we are not the state. So that would not apply. It, it, it's true. Don't shake your head. It's true because we're not the state. So, so we can, so again, so look, look, I'm happy to have the discussion. I, I want to have discussion. And, and, and if, and if you think it's going to help children's children at that event, I, I think you're, you're confused. But if we can improve on what we have in place and we can put it town-wide, then I'm happy to have the discussion and have it done in the right way. And, and that's, what, that's what we all want. We all want that, I, I, I would imagine. Anybody that wants differently than that, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, I think it's a, a little reckless, uh, very reckless. And, and, and sure, I was disturbed just as much as anyone else was of the things that happened at, at, at that event. Um, but just I want everyone to understand what we're going to discuss and what we'll be deciding on. And just level set and go back and listen to what, what, what Mike said in particular. State versus local and what those decisions are and what applies. That's all I want everyone to recognize. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. 
Anything to add, David or Michael? Uh, we'll, we'll just, yeah, we'll be exhaustive in our uh, memorandum uh, when we put this on the agenda there on the second meeting in September. We'll talk about the jurisdiction issue. We'll try and make it as clear as possible. We'll talk about the various laws that are not on our books, various laws that are. Some of them are in Title IX, some of them are elsewhere in the town true, code. That's true. Mm -hmm. And we'll set out the, the pros and cons. There's pros and cons in regards to um, adjudication of a, uh, um, a state offense and what the penalty would be. And there's mm -hmm. pros and cons in regards to um, a municipal offense and what the pros and cons are. You all can then see that and then direct us accordingly on which ordinances uh, to prepare if that's any if that's any direction. So I think I think it'll, it may be better in that context in that in that memorandum to, to get at that issue. Okay, thank you very much. Next we have unscheduled public appearances. Um, the time is now reserved for members of the public to make a presentation. Council on issues or, or issues or items that are not scheduled on the agenda. As a general practice, the council will not discuss or debate these items, nor will council making decisions on the presented during this time. Rather, we, will, um, we can have those uh, items to staff for follow-up. Comments are limited to three minutes per speaker. Time is in 30 minutes total. Residents will be given the priority the order they signed up, followed by non-residents representing Castle Rock businesses, and then non-residents, um, um, and then, then businesses outside the town of Castle Rock as time permits. Council is also accepting public comments submitted, written online at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be scheduled in the, in the public record. I have several people signed up today. I will call you please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use a hand feature and phone in the call and press star three. Please state your name, whether you are a resident, non-resident, or a business owner, you have three minutes to speak. I also want to caveat that we have 30 minutes now. If we have time after the meeting, we'll take up to 30 minutes after the meeting if we have time, because we have more than enough for today's speaking. Um, also, I want to mention one thing as, as well as a lot of people here, most of people here, depending on what side you're on or, 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 not, or whatever you want, um, have, have mentioned a lot that um, they're not so much um, against Pride Fest, they're against um, 18 and that kind of stuff. And, I, uh, and for adults um, and lewd behavior and decent exposure and so, so on and so forth. Um, and that's probably most people in this room. But I'm going to tell you the, the emails that I'm getting are not indicative to what's in this room. The emails that I'm getting are full full of a lot of anger, uh, a lot of a lot of distrust, a lot of a lot of mean comments um, to all of us. Um, I, I know I'm getting a lot as well. Um, but there are also comments about just trying to do what's right in in the town of Castle Rock, and I think I'm hoping that that's the conversation um, that you guys are going to have for us tonight. With that being said. Um, if there's a lot of hooting and hollering and stuff. Um, it does take away from your time. So if you can, try to be respectful um, of people you agree or, do, or don't agree with, and um, we can get going on that. So first up, I do have Christian Pruitt. It's on deck, Dave Love. Thank you. On July 14th, there was an interesting interview that happened with Mike Pence, where he was confronted with the fact that our cities are falling apart. And he famously said, that's not my concern. 
As you can see tonight, a lot of us are concerned about sexual activities in front of children. That is our concern. You have over 150 people in this room. There's at least 50 more out in the hall. And we are grateful that it's your concern as well, that you voted tonight to have a conversation about this. Thank you very much. Councilmember Hollings said, regarding your question about if the Pride event goes on and nobody breaks the law, problem solved. No, that does not solve the problem. What we are trying to do is address any sexual act or exposure or performance in front of any children anywhere here in the town. It is not a one-stop shop. It is not a one-event matter. And we want this council to address it through a resolution to correct it. Concerning things as far as how to put forth this resolution. If the town puts forth a resolution, it allows us to enforce it locally, which is a lot easier. Also, if any fines were to be levied, it would come into the town, which is an advantage as opposed to being prosecuted in another court. Regarding the point of constitutionality, which I know will invariably come up, with people saying, well, this might violate the Constitution and we have a lawsuit. If you mirror the Colorado revised statutes, that will greatly lessen the chances of anything happening because those are already law and they're codified. So if you mirror those, it would be very effective. Third, as you're considering this, District attorneys are not likely going to prosecute things. If you look at our state attorney general, if you consider the 18th district, you're likely not going to have any relief there. Do we have state laws as Councilman Bracken said? Yes, we do. But those district attorneys won't prosecute it. If we have a local ordinance, this will put teeth into our community and give us a means of taking care of this. We want you to consider this as you move forward to make the right decision. We appreciate your time and God's children are not to be violated. Thank you. Thank you. David Love. On deck, I have Jason Miller. I do wanna say thank you very much to every single one of you really, um, because I do think you've heard the voice of the people, and, uh, and that means a lot to me, and I think it means a lot to people here as well. Um, I, want, I want to go back so you can kind of see how this kind of all began, and it did begin with Pride Fest, but the only thing that we were against with Pride Fest was that behavior before kids. That's all we cared about, um, and so that's what we did not like. Um, but when we looked further into the town and its own municipalities and things like that, we saw that this was possibly a problem going forward. So we actually employed a lawyer to look at all the municipal codes when it came to this issue, and we thought that we were vulnerable. And so it's not just about indecent exposure and things like that. It has everything to do with what, and it's a new legal term that I even learned. It's called prurient behavior. And that's any sort of behavior that's supposed to induce some sort of sexual desire or thought. And that's what we don't want to be done before kids. So it's not just indecent exposure. So we hired a lawyer. He came up with pretty much what you already have and added a few things to it. We paid a pretty penny for it and have now given it to you to look at. So when you have the discussion, which I'm all for and I think that's wonderful, 
and it doesn't have to be me, but we would certainly like to have someone that is here of the, uh, in the town that has been a part of this process be a part of that discussion with you so you can see where we're coming from. We can have this discussion without even having to say the word Pride Fest. We can have this discussion without saying LGBTQ. We can have this discussion by just saying what is proper before kids and what isn't, and let's put a double layer of protection there, and I think we can all agree on that. I really do. And again, I want to say thank you. I really do appreciate where you guys came from today. So thank you very much. Thank you. Jason Miller. Is there Jason Miller? Spot. <laughs> sure. My name is on there too, but I crossed it off because we weren't sure who was okay, going to speak. Fine. I'm Autumn. Absolutely. Thank you, Autumn. Um, thank you all for uh, listening to, to us this evening. We, I'm, I can speak for everybody when I say we appreciate that very, very much. Um, I, I think what I wanted to comment on was in relation to something that you said, um, and it was in regards to you know, we allow parents to parent their children. So when they're in their home, they're allowed to do X, Y, Z. If they go to a movie, as you mentioned, it can be a rated R movie. And um, though it shouldn't happen, it does. And so I think what I would ask of all of you is to think about this. Some of those things, yes, they do happen. And that happens in the privacy sometimes of, of a parent's home but also in the privacy of, of a parent's home, children are abused, and we don't turn a blind eye to that. Um, and, and in my opinion, when we're allowing children to be exposed to things that they shouldn't be exposed to at those young ages, that is a, a form of abuse. It's, it's neglectful um, of what we need to do for our, our children, and I think that that should be something that you all consider when you are thinking and pondering about how you want to move forward on, on this topic. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Autumn. <laughs> CJ Carroll. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen of town council. I sit before you today to advocate for the continuation and continuous conversation within our community. Thank you for your vote today, and thank you for passing that on. While it might be tempting to suppress disagreement and discomfort, I firmly believe that allowing such conversations to flourish is essential for the growth, unity, and overall well-being of our town. First and foremost, open dialogue is the cornerstone of a healthy and vibrant community. When we provide a platform for diverse perspectives and a heard, we foster an environment for residents to feel valued and understood. It's through confronting difficult topics that we gain a deeper understanding of the complexities that shape our society. By letting a continued conversation of something that is contentious, we show that we respect the right of free speech and are willing to engage with the concerns and passions of our fellow community members. Furthermore, contentious conversations often arise from genuine concerns and issues that need addressing. Burying these discussions under the rug or avoiding them altogether does not make a problem disappear. It only prolongs their impact and potential to escalate, I think, as we've experienced a little of. Um, I wanted to add that 
I served in Colorado law enforcement for 15 years, both in the capacity of a municipal police officer and a deputy sheriff. And I'm not fully aware of the full arrangements that Castle Rock Police and Douglas County have, but I know that in both of my situations, we carried two ticket books. We carried the county summonses and we carried the municipal summonses. We were able to write citations into either county or into the city, depending on where we were at when we were making traffic stops, where we were at when we were called for service when we're at to back up or assist another agency. I don't know if something like that could happen here, but the, the point I want to raise is there are, I think, really easy solutions if we just kind of get a little bit more creative in how we approach these issues. I think um, Sheriff Weekly and Chief Colley could maybe have some sort of arrangement where maybe there are specific town ordinances that county deputies would be allowed to write on Castle Rock summonses into municipal court. And I think that could be just as applicable the other direction. It happens in other jurisdictions in the state of Colorado. So um, I offer that as a suggestion. I offer that as something to add to the discussion. I think that we can solve this problem while not ostracizing or violating or harming any element of our society that makes this town and this community a wonderful place to live and raise children. So thank you. Thank you, CJ. <laughs> Next, I have Sean, I believe it's Prince. Thank you, Shannon. How about now? Yeah. <clears throat> I, uh, too, want to thank you guys very much for um, changing changing the vote and having the discussion. I uh, was born and raised here in Castle Rock. I'm 34 years old, um, and I'm very grateful and privileged to have been raised in a town that um, protected me, looked after me. Um, my parents were very involved. I graduated from Douglas County, actually went to South Elementary School, um, then to Castle Rock Middle School and graduated in 2007, uh, Douglas County. And uh, fortunately enough, my wife and I are now raising our children here uh, in Castle Rock. We have a nine-year-old, a four-year-old, or excuse me, a five-year-old and a, and a one-and-a-half-year-old, all daughters. And our concern here is to make sure that we maintain the integrity and the morality of, of this town. Uh, it's very important for us to not only raise our children in home and take care of them, but also the things that we see on the outside. And so we just want to make sure uh, that the younger voice is heard here. Um, we need to be involved. And unfortunately, a lot of times in life, you know, especially young, taking kids to and fro school, soccer games, things like that. We don't have tons of time to get involved with situations like this, but when they come up, it's important that the conversations uh, are had. And so again, I thank you guys very much for your reconsideration of having the discussion, um, but we are concerned with some of the events that had taken place, and we just wanna make sure that there's dialogue, so there's a mutual understanding. Uh, and I think maybe that's why there wasn't, or at least I'll give it the benefit of the doubt that there wasn't um, communication in the beginning that we could agree upon. But now we just want to make sure that everybody is heard um, and that we can truly understand each other. So again, guys, thank you very much for your, uh, for your reconsideration and time. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> Charles Adamo. Charles Adamo.
Uh, thank you. Uh, my name is Charles Adamo. I'm a new resident since May. Uh, my time here has been a blessing, particularly my daily visits to the Waffle House. <laughs> I want to thank this council for their uh, brave decision to consider, con continue to consider this issue. In anticipation of uh, the September 19th meeting, I would like to say, <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this council and each and every council member. We thank you for their service and leadership. Father, it is by your will they hold these positions, and you have given them great responsibilities. Whether they know you or not, we know that you have blessed each of them with a conscience, and your laws are written on their hearts. They know what is right and what is wrong. Merciful Father, we pray and plead that you guide these counselors with wisdom in the face of ungodly pressure from darkness. Father God, we know your children hold a precious place in your kingdom. Father, we are reminded that the Lord Jesus himself gave a dire warning to those who have responsibility for children. Whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. We are reminded your word tells us we are not to be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. One who sows evil reaps destruction. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap good if we stay strong. Father, we pray for all those who have been blinded by the darkness of this culture. Lord, we know they are suffering. Lord, we know that you love them, as do we. Merciful Father, we pray from a sinner's heart that you make it known to them that they are loved, that with repentance and falling at the cross of Jesus Christ, they can be freed from bondage, their sins can be forgiven, and they can have something they have never had, a peace beyond all understanding. Lord, we plead and will rejoice if a single soul can be saved from darkness as a result of this process. Lord, we ask that you bless this council, and as I consider this issue on September 19th, that you guide them to a godly decision that gives you glory and protects your children. I pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Charles. Chris Tracy. Good evening. Uh, you guys really uh, took care of a lot of the things that I think we wanted to talk about already tonight. Had a whole timed three-minute speech ready for you guys. Uh, so we're going to throw that out the window. Um, you brought up being open-minded to hearing um, ideas about the discussion that you're to have. Um, so really, I just wanted to touch base on some of that. Um, so to, to recap kind of what happened in 2022, uh, specifically it was, a, it was an outdoor drag show event, uh, took place on a swing, uh, the performer was uh, exposed at that time, nobody stepped in to stop it, um, and uh, I think uh, 
in my research, I think uh, an ex-commissioner at that time took it, ran with it, did propose that the event be canceled. So I 100% understand a lot of the feelings, a lot of the emotion, the passion in that room. I would just ask that we live in the moment now, not where we were a year ago. Um, and when we're talking about an age restriction, uh, I think it is naive for any parent to think uh, that their kid is going to do what they want them to do 100% of the time. It wasn't that long ago that I was a teenager. I broke every rule in the book. And I'm not afraid of maybe I should be, but I'm not afraid of the parents taking their 10-year-old their to the event. I'm afraid of the uh, impressionable teenagers, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, that are going without their, permit, without their parents' consent. Um, so I 100% agree that parents are responsible for their children, but it is naive to think that parents know or give blessings to their kids to do whatever they want to do at all, all times. So that's, I think, something that for sure should be taken into consideration. Um, and really, uh, the best way to do that is to make sure that they're not there in the first place, to see things. Because uh, I think things are going to happen. Um, for what it's worth, I don't think that it was uh, certainly intentional that, that that mishap happened. Uh, there was a speaker two months ago, I think Alex was his name, that said that he would be working security at the event and if he saw something happen, that he personally would take that person and kick him out of the event. I believe him, 100%. I think nobody here wants those things to happen, but it is naive to think that they won't happen and continue to do so because people are people and these events are, thousands of people there and there's no way that everything can be controlled all the time, right? So the best way to stop that from happening is to just not have kids there in the first place. I think it's pretty easy. Thank, Thank you. you. Amy Wendy. Hi, good evening. I want to um, thank all of the council members and the mayor for being open to discussing and putting on to the calendar in September this ordinance. For me personally, this is not a gender issue. This isn't a race issue. This isn't even a religious issue. This is how do we want to keep and preserve the town of Castle Rock. For me, it's not related specifically to the event at the end of the month, as Hollings had singled out. It is strictly about protecting the character of this town and the innocence of the children. And so I want to sincerely thank you for putting that on the calendar. I was going to say something different, but you all have pleasantly surprised me. So thank you. Thank you. I'm going to butcher this name, Megan Zavadil. Am I even close? Okay. Good evening. Thank you for your time. My name is Megan Zavadil, and I've been a resident of Castle Rock for over a decade. 
I also volunteer and I'm a board member with Castle Rock Pride and I'm on the planning committee for Pride Fest for later this month. Uh, Castle Rock Pride is an organization dedicated to promoting inclusivity, understanding, and respect for all individuals, regardless of their sexual orientation or their gender identity. I want to address a matter of concern that has arisen, the proposed addition of an indecent exposure measure in our town. First and foremost, let me emphasize that I do not oppose the implementation of an indecent exposure measure. I recognize the importance of maintaining a safe and comfortable environment for all residents. I'm a mother of a 12-year-old child. I don't want my child seeing indecent exposure either. Such measures, when appropriately crafted and applied, can contribute to the well-being of our community. However, I am also aware that this measure is being spearheaded by those with bigoted intentions to target the LGBTQIA community, particularly drag performers and queer individuals. While it's disheartening to even consider such a possibility, I also believe in the strength of our town and its commitment to justice and equality. Should the town choose to listen to the squeaky wheel and pursue such a measure, I trust the town's leadership and legal team to implement this measure in a fair and non-discriminatory manner. I believe that our local government understands the value of diversity and the importance of upholding the rights of every individual. I'm confident that any measure adopted will be based on truly protecting public decency and safety, rather than being wielded as a tool for bigotry, intolerance, and hatred. However, please also be aware that because this is coming from a place of thinly veiled bigotry. Implementing an indecent exposure measure will not stop those who are hateful from continuing to take up your time meeting after meeting after meeting. They say they simply want discussion. The county commissioners held an entire town hall specifically that, for that purpose, yet they're still here. Despite their protestations to the contrary, they will stop at nothing short of a ban on drag and other queer expression. However, I do want to reiterate, I trust our town government to be fair and legal in their decisions. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. Mary Wilson. I believe it's Mary Wilson, but oh, okay. Thank you. Thanks, Seth. That's fine. Thank you. Uh, good evening. I'm Mary Wilson. I am a proud Colorado resident for over 14 years. Good evening, Mayor Gray and distinguished town council members. When I was involved in making the changes to our town charter to allow for an elected, citizen elected mayor, our group got buy-in from a variety of political parties, faiths, and backgrounds. This is how democracy works. Bal um, by the way, that ballot measure passed by over 70%. A flash mob is not good governance. I agree with Councilman um, Brackman on how we need to take the right procedures and how to do this. So, I'm sorry, I'm out of breath, <laughs> I'm still running. Um, I spent some time outside talking to some of the people who were passing out the placards that you see peppered behind you. And they seem to focus on the children or our children. As a parent, I think that's my job, not that of a mob, to decide 
what I consider decent or indecent. And um, as such, I think that we're starting to go down, as you say, a slippery slope. When is decency and when is it indecent? When I take my child to see an art, uh, August Renoir painting called Petite Nude Blue, and those of us who don't know French, it means little blue nude. Is that considered indecent? When I take my child to see someone who is a drag performer, is that considered indecent? It's my choice. It is my decision to make that, not that of a flash mob. And that's all I had to say. Thank you. Thank you. Bill Jack. Good evening, council members and Mr. Mayor. My name is Bill Jack. I am an educator with 10 years experience in the public schools. I was an English teacher, most dreaded creature on the face of God's green earth. I, for 28 years, have been the faculty advisor. I was co-founder as well of Worldview Academy, which is a Christian leadership training program for students 13 to 18. As such, I have periodically and repeatedly been required to undergo training in recognizing the dangers and the warning signals of sexual predation, including grooming of children. That is part of my job in guarding the students that I educate. I can tell you what I witnessed last year at the Pride Fest was nothing less than sexual grooming, legally, not just should be illegal, not just immoral, it was evil. It was purient, it was disgustingly insane, the actions that were performed, it was demeaning to the individuals performing them, and it was corrupting to the community of Castle Rock. I urge you, as council members, and remind you of your job as magistrates to reward good behavior and restrain and punish evil behavior. The Old Testament prophet warned the culture of his day, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. What I witnessed was evil. And so I urge you to take appropriate action as Councilman Dietz said, to protect the innocence of the children. You may or may not be held accountable by the electorate, but you certainly will be accountable before the righteous judge of the universe who values those children. I urge you to do the right thing. Thank you. Katie Barrett. I just want to make room in case I'm escorted out. So. Good evening. 
I'm Katie Barrett, and I'm a longtime Castle Rock resident. And to start, I'd like to apologize for my abrupt appearance in this seat last month. I was moved out of my seat after reaching my limit of hearing the lie, teachers are groomers, as well as utter disregard for the processes of democracy, the rule of law. The lies about people who give their lives educating children should not go unchallenged. As you hopefully know, more children are abused by people in the household and by religious-based events than teachers have ever. In case you've overlooked the Constitution, especially the First Amendment, many of the Founding Fathers had terrible encounters with the church. This is why our beautifully crafted Constitution explicitly lays out the separation of church and state. We are not solely a Christian nation. Other religions, I hope, are sought after and made to feel welcome in coming to the Castle Rock Town Council to utter the invocation or blessing in a big-hearted show of diversity and acceptance. Many speakers in last month's crowd also appeared at the Pride Town Hall, sponsored by the BOCC. At both meetings, they hurled hateful, demeaning comments about members of the community. At town council last month, as well as scripted outrages, were organized and spewed by seven of the ten who were allowed to sign up. The speakers were well prepared with selected biblical passages and a, quote, script to follow. Great-grandmother used to say that no one organizes like Christians. Their organization includes Pastor Love's, quote, Christian Church, Councilman Diet, as well as everyone's friend, Commissioner George Teal. Their purpose is to favor only one accepted view of their personal religious practices when making important decisions, especially those that involve cultural practices. I'm mad and frustrated that some of our elected officials have not taken their oath to heart to place the United States Constitution as well as the Colorado Constitution above all else. This includes your religion and child raising views. If you are unable to serve with honor and integrity in upholding these ideals, public service is not for you. Thank you, Katie. Next, I have Ray Thompson. That'll be the last speaker um, for, for the time being. And then we have a few later on if um, we have time after the meeting. So Ray Thompson, please. We'll move on to uh, last name. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a bad job again. Jay Gru Grueling. Grieveling. Grieveling. Sorry. It's okay. You're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say thank you. Uh, 
I think a few people have mentioned this. My, oh, can you hear me? Okay, sorry about that. Just want to say thank you. Um, you know, my original comments were moot leading up to this. Um, we appreciate having the discussion. There's a few things that I want you to keep in mind when you're having the discussion. Um, there's a lot of talk, whether it's tonight or at the county commissioner's meeting about bigotry and hate. I think this issue has been convoluted and everybody comes up here and they says that it's not a me versus you or a this group versus that group. The reality is, is that we don't want sexual behavior in front of children. So I ask that you not let groups skew your view. This is not about hate, bigotry, um, uh, purporting our Christian beliefs. I would hope that each one of you believes in objective morality, right? Not subjective morality where what's right for me uh, might be wrong for someone else. We have objective morality and our laws represent that throughout our county, uh, throughout our country, right? So we don't worry about the feelings of the alcoholic when we're making drunk driving laws, do we? We do what's best for the constituents as a whole. And maybe they don't like it. That's too bad. It's the best for our society. I also want to address the bigotry and the hate. Um, that's one that really bothers me because it's not coming from a, from a place of bigotry or hate. Those of us that are speaking out have a genuine concern for the children. Someone mentioned before the issue of grooming. You can look up an article in Psychology Today. The fourth step in grooming a child sexually is exposing them to sexual behavior. Now, I'm hoping that we're still the trust the science crowd and, and we can actually believe what's said by Psychology Today. So it's a larger issue on behalf of our children. And my last point is, let me worry about my kids. Well, that's not really how we operate. It's our job to try to legislate our morality based on how we believe. That's why everybody gets a vote. So it's your job to make sure that the, the group as a whole is protected. And if people want to do things like that behind their closed doors, you can't stop them. But you need to do what's best for everybody at large. Thanks. Thank you. And with that, if we have time at the end of the meeting tonight, we will continue with this, the people who have signed up. Um, with that, we will move on to town manager's report. Mayor and Council, I've got a, a few items to uh, discuss with you this evening, and then Dan and Tara are going to come up and um, um, make a few presentations. I might wait, might just wait just a minute. That's all right. Yep, take your time. Yeah, thank you.
Thank you, Seth. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get started with town manager's report. I could get some cooperation for the back bench back there. Be okay, a little bit. Um, uh, let me wait for Councilmember Lafleur and Mayor Pro Tem Bracken to get back for the this motion. Sure. Because I just want to make sure everybody sees that we want to have a uh, executive session starting at 5:15 next. Uh, next time on our September 5th meeting because uh, Mark Marlowe, Mike Hyman and I want to talk a little bit about some uh, strategic planning um, issues in regards to Castle Rock water. So, um, but on, on September the 5th, yeah, we'll start at 5.15. I mean, we'll have uh, meals there available, but we would then go back into, we have to come in for executive session, start the meeting. Um, it takes a two thirds majority to recess into an executive session. So, um, so what what we would like to do um, is start our next meeting um, on September the fifth at five fifteen p.m. We'd like to have an executive session because Mark Marlowe, Mike Hyman, and myself want to talk about some uh, matters related to developing a strategy for negotiation in regards to some items uh, pending before Castle Rock Water. So um, if that works for everybody's schedule, we'll obviously have dinner here, go right in. You have to come in, start the meeting, two-thirds majority, recess into executive session, and then we proceed into that. If that, that works, um, I would appreciate a motion to that effect there at the bottom. I move to start the September 5th, 2023 town council meeting at 5.15 p.m. for the purposes of conducting an executive session. Second. I have a first from Laura Cavey, a second from Max Brooks. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Okay. 
Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Sure. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. David? Thank you very much. Um, hopefully, uh, redundancy is also seen as consistency because we've been providing you with a number of, of calendar items. Um, and hopefully you've got the, these on your calendar. Um, tomorrow is the State of the Town event at the Cantrell School. Uh, we've been painting, we've been cleaning, uh, because we hope the public gets an opportunity to uh, 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 have, we're gonna have the key exchange formally from the school district, and then Mayor Gray's gonna have a State of the Town event uh, tomorrow evening, so we're excited about that. We've got an open house um, on the 22nd on the, 2024 town budget, you're gonna be seeing some information in regards to the, the upcoming proposed recommended budget. I'm also gonna schedule some time with you all to walk through some of our budget challenges and some of the, the budget direction that uh, we're proceeding with, but we are gonna have an open house. Um, we're hoping for good attendance. Um, then we've got an open house uh, where we wanna talk with uh, the neighborhood and the, and the entire community about some uh, needed improvements and some possible improvements at the Centennial Park area, and you see that as well. Then the open house on the 29th for Councilmember Brooks. Um, we've just mentioned the September 5th meeting, um, and then we've got open houses uh, towards the end of September for Councilmember LaFleur, Councilmember Dietz, and then um, uh, we're using the Grange for the districts one and three for Councilmember Hollingshead and Mayor Pro Tem Bracken on the 24th and then the last open house is October the 30th for Council Member Cavey. We, um, we are having the Frozen 5-0 uh, come to um, a number of our open houses. We hope that that will encourage attendance. We, lo we love to have the public come. I think it's probably some of the best discussions we have in regards to public policy in this community is when we can talk to the community, when they can tell us what they want, and we can try and tell them a little bit about what we know is going on um, in the community as well. So hopefully we get Excuse good attendance me, Dave, on that. Yes, Dave, sir. Just make sure they have mint ice cream, okay? I'm sorry, the, the ice cream request was mint. 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 I got on my list. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Do you have right now? We, we're, we're also going to be talking about budget, council member. So, but we'll be. Good. I think we're good. We're good on mint, but we want to be careful about. If anybody has any more exotic ideas, we may have to be careful. Um, so um, there's there's that. Really want to encourage attendance on that. Um, I know the communications division. Melissa's been in, sending you all emails in regards to the postcard. The sooner we can get that postcard confirmed, the better off we are as far as getting it timely mailed. Um, sometimes we have a challenge with uh, delivery on those. So um, please pay attention to that, but we want it to reflect um, your views as well. And then we've also got the commission appreciation event there. Um, a couple of neighborhood meetings. Uh, and then um, just a, a number of other uh, community events that are going on as well. Um, with that, I do want to commend to you, and we've got a lot on the agenda, so I'm not going to spend too much time. We do have the uh, monthly department reports, a lot of good information there. You also have the mid-year reports from the service contracts, so you might want to take a look at all of that as part of our 24 budget. You all will be making decisions in regards to um, how those um, 
agreements with those different service contract providers is, is funded, so it's good to see those updates as well. Um, ask Dan to come and talk a little bit about CDOT's interest in a mobility hub, um, and we'll he'll talk a little bit about the location and some of the, the next steps. We're not making any decisions in regards to this uh, this evening, but uh, wanna make sure that you're familiar with CDOT's interest in this project. So I'll turn it to Dan. Yeah, thanks Dave, and good evening, uh, Mayor and Council. Uh, I just briefly wanna provide you an update uh, with where CDOT's at. Um, they're conducting a, a formal evaluation on potential uh, locations for a park and ride mobility hub site here in Castle Rock. Um, and like Dave said, uh, there's, there's basically no commitment by the town, but just did wanna understand if there's any council direction or feedback that you'd like me to relay to, to the team as they're, as they're wrapping up, I'm happy to do that. Um, but they're planning on, on uh, finishing their uh, study um, come September 1. And what they've done is they've looked at five uh, potential sites within Castle Rock and, and really weeded out four of them as not being uh, effective or efficient from their perspective. And, and they've narrowed it down to one location at the uh, uh, northeast corner of uh, Wilcox and Wolfensburger right there uh, before you get onto I-25. So it's essentially just north of the downtown area uh, by the old gas station that the town acquired. What I've shown here is, is just two conceptual renderings of, of what they're thinking about for that potential site. Um, most of them, the real the, the difference is, is the intersection control and how they treat that. That's a pretty unique and funky uh, intersection if you uh, drive through that regularly. So they're looking at uh, potentially some enhancements to that if they choose to move forward with location at this uh, at this site. Um, Right now, they've got a conceptual estimate that's really preliminary of close to $17 million to implement that in the design and construction phase. Um, they have some funds available uh, potentially to move forward, but they are uh, approximately $3.2 million short. I have no idea what, what their expectation might be as far as like potential uh, partnership ask of either Douglas County or the town, uh, but that's a real high level kind of stage of where they're at. Um, this is in line with some of the items that we included with the town council approved downtown mobility master plan that does talk about uh, some some added uh, modality for for the town uh, that's in line with that as well as our transit feasibility study that was also reviewed and approved by town council um, we don't have any identified capital uh, projects uh, in the next five years associated with 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 those but i do want to let you know that this is in, in line with those uh, guiding documents um, and that's really it just wanted to provide uh, an understanding of where they're at uh, they'll be wrapping that up and if there's any kind of initial feedback or consideration you'd like me to relay i'm happy to do that thank you dan laura Cavey. Can you explain to me and to everybody in here or anybody who would listen, what is a mobility hub? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I, I apologize for not uh, providing that. Um, the way CDOT kind of generally looks at that is it's more than uh, really um, just a traditional park and ride. It's got the ability to um, unite uh, uh, several modes of, of transportation, including park and rides, potential for access to a commuter rail if there, uh, if, if there was a stop, uh, for example, um, connection to um, a local transit service is another example where they're trying to use one location that serves multiple modes for people to have options um, versus just a traditional park and ride where people come in and park their cars and, 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 and carpool out. David? So they put, are they, going to make this a bus stop? 
Well, CDOT has bus staying that that goes between the Springs and Denver for, and there are a number of commuters that that, that use it. This might be a possibility for that. Um, I mean, it's not it's not a traditional bus stop in the sense that it's intercity. It is intra-city use, um, and the but I I see it's probably it's. Primary application is probably some type of park and ride where commuters that were getting, they want to uh, share rides on I-25 would have a location for that. But they they might have the bus staying. We don't have a transit system in town. Don't have funding for it. Don't have plans for it. Um, it's kind of nice for to think of that CDOT might ask us for money as opposed to the other way around. So, um, I, and I'm not happy about this, and I'm not happy about it because we can't get them to give us a single freaking dime for CVI, and they want to come here and do a bus stop? No. <laughs> One of the reasons why one of the reasons why we wanted to show you this is CDOT study. We haven't put any money into it. A little bit of staff time. Uh, but no, no money to it. Um, we do own the, the old gas station site. Um, that might be um, considered a contribution, but I don't, I don't know that they own the property there. It's, it's actually, I don't know if it's in the town or not um, there, but we'll, we'll, we, the message received, and um, if this proceeds any further, um, it'll be back on an agenda for any additional direction that you would give us on it. Thank you. Sorry, that's just my no, I get that's when no, no. Okay, Council. This is why we. This is why I wanted. We don't have any action item on this. Yeah. But 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 I. <laughs> no, I I get it. And we we did have busting for several years. It was discontinued a few years ago, um, and I I've heard for a while that they've been looking for a different um, hub in the area. Um, they had like four or five different places in, in, in mind. This is the only one that makes sense if they do it. Um, but I agree that, you know, it's it's not something that, that that's on our radar as far as, you know, I don't think that we want to contribute to it. Unfortunately, if the, C, if the CDOT wants to put it there, more than likely they're going to put it there. Well, they own, they own some of the right-of-way, but as Dan indicated, and, and as you will see in our five-year CIP, um, there is no money for this over the next five years from the town. Um, so we don't, and in order to carve out any money, we would have to say no to some very important projects. Probably one of them that you're gonna see here in a few minutes in regards to some improvements on Fifth Street. So well, we don't have any money for it. On top of that, like, and as Laura Cavey said, I mean, and I think everyone here understands, you know, to spend that kind of money on a uh, mobility hub slash park and ride and not give us a dime is is um wow not good partnership no it's not <laughs> so <laughs> so but i do but we're not trying to kill the messenger dan so i do nope. appreciate the message no no <laughs> okay and they they have not asked um we just wanted to point out that they're they're currently short uh um so we might anticipate that they might but again they have not formally asked Thank you. <laughs> and then uh, finally, Capital Tar is going to come up and talk about some development projects. 
All right, good evening, Council and Mayor. Um, wanted to walk through kind of my monthly update on pre-applications, uh, which are not formal submittals to the town, but they are where either landowners or potential developers ask questions on what the process is. So you might hear about some of these. Um, Going around town, starting in District 1 with Councilmember Hollingshead District. This is a proposed uh, landscaping redesign for some property owned by the Meadows Community Association, HOA. Uh, it's just west of Butterfield Crossing Drive and south of um, Buena Vista Drive. So they're looking to convert some of their crusher fine paths to concrete, extend the paths, and look at doing some xeriscaping in this area. In District 3, Mayor Pro Tem Bracken's district, uh, we have a request from Aspen View Academy on what the process is uh, to add an additional monument sign, possibly with electronic message board. Uh, the brickyard development uh, is one that we have an active zoning um, uh, application in for. This pre-application is for the site development plan, which would be the next step. Uh, they are looking at uh, developing the 31 acres. Again, this is uh, west of Prairie Hawk Drive, north of Plum Creek Parkway. Um, looking to add 560 residential units, 125 key hotel, as well as associated restaurant, retail, event, uh, performance venue, as well as recreational spaces. So this is the um, required before a formal submittal for that. Uh, the Taft House over in the Meadows is looking to make some changes to some of their grading and storm uh, sewer infrastructure um, and swales. Uh, Springs at Castle Rock Multifamily is looking to make some changes to their exterior stone veneer, uh, doing replacements on all nine of their buildings, so looking to understand what that process is. And District 4, Councilmember LaFleur's district, we have a, a pre-application. This site is just south of the intersection um, Dan was speaking of, so just south of Wolfensburger and I-25. Um, it's currently, um, well, it's the site of an old Phillips 66 property. Um, I believe there's a computer repair shop that operates there now. This pre-application is looking to demolish uh, the existing buildings on the property and put in a new development. Uh, they've got two questions. They're curious about what's required for an auto service uh, facility or a drive-through coffee shop. Um, it's not both, but we, we had some staff confused on that. So um, looking through that process, down on Front Street, we have an applicant who's got existing triplexes and is looking to um, add parking to the front of that lot following some recent um, road changes. District 6, Councilmember Dietz's district. We have a couple pre-applications down in the Dawson Trails area. So this is in the location of the future Crystal Valley Interchange um, and in Dawson Trails. So this is from CORE Electric. They are looking to um, install uh, future overhead electric distribution feeder lines that would run from their Citadel uh, substation on the north end of the property uh, that's highlighted in blue uh, to the south where they would be in, um, constructing a future Dawson Trails substation. So those are the typical overhead lines you currently see running on that side of I-25 north of this area. Um, also, there would be an underground feeder line. So this is again a core pre-application. Um, it would go from South Perry Park over to the location really of where the Costco site will be. Uh, these are underground uh, electrical distribution lines. 
Gas lines are also needed for development in this area, so this pre-application is for a, a six-inch gas line uh, that would run through uh, the Dawson Trails neighborhood also to support future development, uh, but also specifically for the proposed Costco site. Over in across I-25 on the east side, Montane Lanterns area, there uh, is a pre-application to make some changes to some of the shade structures uh, that are in a landscape area. And then we have um, a request that's not in anybody's specific jurisdiction. This is for St. Francis uh, Church to install a sewer line there in unincorporated Douglas County, just south of 5th Street, uh, west of Ridge Road. Um, and they are uh, asking what the process is. The town currently serves them with water, even though they're unincorporated. And so they're asking to connect uh, to sewer. Excel has some transmission lines uh, that exist today that run along Ridge Road uh, from Amexi Corps uh, substation up here and they run south down to Palmer Lake and beyond. Um, Excel is looking to replace the wooden overhead poles with uh, stronger, taller metal pole structures. Uh, their whole project is quite large. It goes all the way down to Palmer Lake. So there's about eight, I believe, eight poles within the town's jurisdiction that they're looking to change out and improve. And then proposed annexations, uh, we have um, a pre-application request for a property that we call Terramonte. Uh, this is located at Ridge Road, uh, just north of Plum Creek Parkway, where the roundabout is located. Uh, it's currently in unincorporated Douglas County. We've had a variety of these over the last um, year for sure. Uh, this current iteration is looking at 170 multifamily units. It would not be an apartment complex. Uh, it's laid out more as, as homes and attached homes, but it'd be a four-rent community with uh, community center, pool, uh, fitness center, that type of thing, and some open space. So this is located adjacent to Councilmember Brooks's district. Yes, Councilmember how, Katie. How many acres is that? You know, I don't know that off the top of my head, but I can forward that in an email. Oh, thank you. Yep. Yep. It is. While there's an interruption, um, I'm, I think staff is kind of struggling with these issues about um, annexation of new property for residential purposes. Um, and I think we'd, we probably want to have a little bit larger discussion at some point about that. Um, you're familiar with the citizen survey results. Citizen survey says we really don't want a lot more residential growth in the community. We know about all of our entitlement issues that are out there. This is not entitled. This is an annexation where Town Council gets to make the decision whether or not it wants to extend its services uh, to that property. And I'm not asking you for any decisions this evening. Um, this is a proposed, pre, it's a pre-application, they haven't submitted anything. It's completely appropriate to have some additional discussions in regards to that. But as we get these types of requests, um, wh through what lens do you want us looking at that? You, as we have in the past? or something different going forward. And I think we just want to talk about it. I'm just not asking for any further discussion really this evening, but I just want to highlight this for you all to think about. I've had a discussion with Councilmember Brooks because um, it is adjacent to, um, to his district, um, but it, all of you get to decide whether or not to annex uh, the property. So I'm just pointing that out because I think we, it, it raises a little bit of a larger issue in regards to some annexation going Desi? forward. 
Okay, thank you. Tara, um, I thought this had kind of like fallen by the wayside. They weren't going to move forward. Where, so I know it's just a pre-application. So is it I still believe, on our radar? But Well, I believe that the property is still being marketed for sale. And so we are hearing from a variety of folks with different ideas who are looking to buy it. Right, so all of these pre-applications are not from the same person or the same entity. Oh, okay. Right, so these are, hey, before I buy this property, could I do X, Y, Z? What, what's the town's um, thoughts on that? And, and the various folks um, over the last year are definitely pushing staff to say, well, what would the town support? And uh, we always tell them there's not a magic answer for that, but the town is not looking to add to our residential entitlements. Um, but they keep coming, they, a collective they, you know, keep coming back with different ideas to see if they're getting closer to it. So the um, property is held by a company who's looking to sell it. Okay. And so the various buyers um, ask us what can happen there. Yeah, it was my understanding that there was like a lack of water, just like a lot of issues, access. The site, as many sites potentially in town, have a variety of issues. Um, water is always one. Are they proposing sure. something that's more dense than the property has water for? Um, access at this roundabout, um, you know, there, it is able to be accessed. It just might not be able to be accessed the way the first person wanted it done, right? So as a part of the pre-application process, so for this as well as all the ones I've already spoken about, um, they get submitted to town staff. They go through a couple weeks um, where staff has the opportunity to review. There's a usually in-person or WebEx meeting held to go through all the various issues that are related to that parcel. So each applicant gets that in writing. Um, but yeah, we've had a, a variety of iterations on this one. I don't believe they're all by, from the same um, entity. It's okay. just that it's still for sale. And well, if 245 units didn't work, what do you think of 170? Um, and that's that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Thank you for clarifying. David and then Laura. No, just, it's 32 acres, council member. Thank you. So look at yes. it. Just, I know you're not looking for, you know, a dissertation right now, um, but just a couple comments. One, we could annex forever, right? Because once this touches a boundary, then it touches another boundary, then it touches something else, right? I mean, we could play, be playing the annexation game forever. So we need to think about that, I think, as a council, right? Secondarily, this particular one is right next to Mem and Young, which we all know I have issues with. Um, particularly that roundabout, which will get Fs, just from the Mem and Young development. So you add another one there on the corner, just food for thought, right? What is it going to do to that intersection and what is it going to cost us or the taxpayers, right, to go back and redo that whole roundabout again? Just, just comments. So thanks, Dave. Thank you. Tara? All right. Um, let's see. I think I have. That was it for the pre-applications. We have two new quasi-judicial applications that I wanted to make sure were on your radar. So these are formal applications into the town. They are under staff review. They will formally go before um, various boards and commissions and eventually town council at the right time. So just wanted to make sure everyone was aware of those. Uh, in District 6, Councilmember Dietz's district, um, speaking of the Costco earlier, the Costco site development plan has formally been submitted to town staff. Uh, again, it is currently under review. Uh, it will have future hearings before Planning Commission for a recommendation to Town Council. Um, they are proposing um, a large uh, wholesale retail um, uh, 
building, a facility with uh, large parking areas as well as a fueling station. So that's the short summary of it. You'll see that listed now in your quasi-judicial report for each of the meetings moving forward. Also in Dawson Trails, they've submitted the first site development plan for the first area of residential lots. So this includes 230 detached single family lots in a neighborhood park. Uh, this area is on the northern uh, section of their residential area, um, just south of the Twin Oaks subdivision in unincorporated Douglas County. So again, that is going through staff review. Um, we go back and forth with each applicant to make sure they comply with the town requirements and the zoning, and then it will be scheduled uh, in the future for planning commission recommendation to town council. So just wanted to make everyone aware of those two items, and to clarify, we're not having a quasi-judicial discussion on either of those tonight, but I am happy to answer any questions if there are any more that remain. Any questions for Tara? Seeing none, thank you, Tara. Right, anyone, thank you. Anything else, David? Thank you, David. Moving on to the town attorney report. Thank you, Mayor, members of the council. I actually have a report tonight and I think it's uh, good news. And uh, so uh, uh, I think we have the uh, uh, slideshow up front and I'll, uh, my co-pilot or, uh, go ahead. Yeah, if you could, that'd be great. Oh, look at this. Are you gonna let me actually handle this? Wish me luck. Okay, right button? Okay, I can, I, technology is my friend. So I'm gonna to talk to you tonight about uh, multi-district PFAS litigation. What is PFAS? Wish me luck on this because this is why my sister is a chemist and I'm an attorney. Uh, PFAS is perfluoroalkyl and polyfluoroalkyl substances. That's what it stands for. But what they are, they're long-lasting chemicals. That they're found in many things. They were kind of developed in the 1950s by companies like 3M and DuPont. Uh, they're found in stain-resistant, water-resistant, uh, non-stick consumer products. But most importantly for us, uh, they're found in firefighting foam. Uh, firefighting home that the U.S. military has used, airports are really common users, and of course local fire departments like our own Castle Rock Fire and Rescue has used uh, firefighting foam. Um, exposure to PFAS chemicals, uh, it may be linked to harmful health effects in human and animals. And so that's why the EPA is very interested in this. We're looking at uh, the adoption of regulations that will uh, probably uh, set the limits at, at close to uh, detectable levels, which is a very small amount. So uh, that's in our future. Actually, it's in our present. So how does it affect the town? And this is it. Uh, it is present in low levels in our drinking water supply and our raw water supply. Uh, we test in both raw and treated water at our Plum Creek uh, water purification facility, and we already treat for PFAS uh, using a technique that's been approved, uh, granular activated carbon filtration. Did I get that right, Mr. Marlowe? Thank you. I'm I'm working on these things. The idea is to reduce the levels so it goes under the amount that uh, we expect uh, the uh, EPA will uh, put into place. Uh, so there is a substantial cost associated with it. Uh, we recently paid $650,000 to replace the 
granular activated carbon in our filters. Uh, given what we understand, I think we're looking at doing that every two years. So uh, this adds up fast. So what is the litigation? Uh, there are local water providers throughout the nation. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, there are a number of suits. Uh, claims against firefighting phone manufacturers uh, have been joined in what is known as federal multi-district litigation. In fact, uh, all of these suits are being sent to the uh, district court, federal district court of South Carolina, if I remember correctly. And so uh, you have literally over a thousand lawsuits have been filed. States have filed them, like the state of Colorado. A lot of local water providers, particularly in this state, have filed them. Uh, and uh, uh, typically when you have multi-district litigation, uh, you have the opportunity for settlements. Uh, literally, the idea is to take a bunch of cases that present the same facts, uh, have one court kind of handle all the preliminary matters, and then uh, essentially the possibility exists, as in this case, for a what they call a bellwether trial. They pick one suit to try and resolve all the factual issues at once. Well, we almost got there with the PFAS litigation, but uh, two proposed settlements kind of interrupted that process. And so uh, you can see them on there. We're talking some major dollars. Uh, 3M Company is really the major provider, uh, manufacturer of PFAS uh, chemicals and uh, their uses. Uh, settlement is proposed at between 10.5 and 12.5 billion dollars, that is not a misprint. Uh, DuPont, 1.185 billion. Uh, so this is just settlements with public water providers. There are other cases involving other entities and uh, individuals uh, concerning PFAS. This is just for water. And we believe we are a tier one water provider. What does that mean for the town of Castle Rock? Uh, it means that we're eligible to seek recovery under both settlements, and we're eligible to be among the first provided that recovery. If you are tier one, you go and divvy up the pot first. So that's what the PFAS litigation is. Uh, Mark, have I missed anything? I'm gonna turn to you to uh, uh, add to what I've mentioned. My my partner over here in this venture. No, that's really good, Mike. Um, the bottom line is, I want to make sure it's clear, it's in our raw water supplies, it's in reusable water supplies, it comes from a host of customer products, you know, consumer products. We've got a web page on this that folks can go look at, talks about all the various products, talks about all the testing that we do on our raw water supplies. And it's fairly ubiquitous. I mean, this is present all over the place. This is not just a problem we have. I will note those settlements sound like large dollar amounts, but there's 150,000 water providers in this country, roughly, give or take. Um, so there's a lot of folks that are impacted by this. It's certainly not just Castle Rock. Um, I also just want to make sure everyone understands we have not detected 
um, this, the chemicals that are currently being considered for regulation by EPA in our drinking water, we've detected it in our raw water. The, the carbon is designed to remove it, um, but as Mike mentioned, the regulatory limits are being set just above the detectable limits of technology. So what that means is, all I can say is we don't detect it. I don't know if there's some level available, you know, present somewhere. Um, okay. Um, Desi and then Laura. Mark, where is Levere's with this being so closely uh, located to the old DuPont factory? You know, the old DuPont facility, I don't believe had anything to do with PFAS. Okay. Um, Just but I will say that, again, it's in the raw water supplies. You know, it's in raw water all over the place. So it's not, you know, just in Castle Rock. It's not just in wherever. It's, it's pretty much a national issue, a national concern, which is why the Environmental Protection Agency has proposed regulating it. Um, and they've got actually four, PFAS actually stands for a whole bunch of chemicals, like there's a whole bunch of chemicals that fall in that category. EPA is regulating four of those. They're going, they've got a draft rule to put a maximum contaminant level requirement on water providers to meet this, which is one of the reasons the water providers are going to court over this because it's going to cost a lot of money. As Mike said, generally for us, we have granular activated carbon to treat our reuse water and remove all kinds of things that are not regulated, but it does remove PFAS, and PFAS is really the trigger that's going to cause us to need to replace the carbon on a periodic basis. So we have the cost of replacement of carbon. We also have the cost for all the analytical testing we have to do to monitor and make sure that we're doing what we need to in terms of treatment. Thank you. Laura Kivy. So a couple questions. One is, how much of this granulated carbon do we have? How often do we have to replace it because of this? Like so, you said, the, that first slide that Mike had had $650,000 on it. Mm -hmm. Yes, you, you'll remember late last year, you guys approved a contract for us to replace the granular activated carbon. If you guys have all toured our Plum Creek water purification facility, those large tanks that we have as the last, one of the last treatment processes contain the granular activated carbon. So when we replace it, we have to replace all the carbon in those large tanks. And so it's a, it's a fairly significant cost. That carbon gets sent back to the manufacturer of the carbon where they regenerate it, which means they remove the contamination and destroy it. And then that carbon's available for reuse. Gotcha. And you were saying this gets in our drinking supply by like multiple sources? Yeah, this is a, this, to be clear, this is, uh, this is important to understand because I don't want people to get, um, they have to understand, keep this in perspective. Bottom line is this chemical's been used in fast food containers, um, nonstick cookware, carpet. In fact, my last utility in Dalton, Georgia, I was dealing with PFAS concerns back in 2000, early 2000s. 
Um, it's in carpet. It's in uh, all kinds of clothing where you've got stain resistance associated with it. It's in other products. We've got a whole list on our website. You can look at all those products. So folks are exposed to this from other areas. I want to make sure people understand. It's not like this is not just a drinking water thing where, oh gosh, you know, this is something that you're getting exposed to probably more so, quite frankly, from other perspectives. How many of us have cooked with non-cook, non-stick cookware, right? Okay. So again, you've got to keep it all in perspective. Thank you. Yeah. And I would say I think we're pretty uh, unusually well placed with the fact that we have these uh, uh, filtration devices that use the granulated carbon uh, technique. I don't think very many of us out there who provide water systems have that in place. Am I correct on that? Or? Yeah, I mean, remember we have one of the most advanced treatment facilities, certainly in the state, and one of the most advanced in, in the country, really, when you look around the country at various treatment facilities. So we are well positioned, at least from that perspective, to meet the upcoming EPA regulations. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've been very well served by Castle Rock Water. I'm just going to say that. Um, so uh, we do have a recommendation. This is it. Uh, Keller Rohrbach, it's a Seattle law firm, and it specializes in multi-district litigation. Uh, it shouldn't come as a surprise that uh, I've worked with them in uh, two jurisdictions before, uh, Aurora and then Denver. Uh, we hired them because I think they uh, probably, uh, in those jurisdictions, uh, with respect to, if anyone remembers, the opioid litigation, uh, when uh, uh, a lot of uh, jurisdictions uh, sued uh, Big Pharma, uh, Pharma and uh, uh, the, a lot of the companies that were making uh, all of these uh, drugs that uh, were uh, uh, causing addiction in this country. And uh, a lot of jurisdictions, if you look at places like Denver and Aurora, they had a lot of issues with uh, uh, opioid and fentanyl addiction and had to, uh, in fact, uh, I, we used to uh, train our librarians in Denver to administer, administer Narcon uh, to uh, people having uh, an, uh, a, a problem uh, overdosing on these opioids. So uh, Keller Rohrbach did a very good job for all of us on that uh, litigation. And uh, it doesn't come as a surprise, they represent both Denver and Aurora uh, in the uh, PVAS litigation along with Boulder County, Jefferson County, and I think a number of other uh, smaller jurisdictions as well. Uh, they've offered to represent the town on a flat rate contingency fee basis. Uh, that would be equal to 20% of the sums recovered. Uh, no out-of-pocket cost for the town. They advance all the costs and really get paid out of uh, what they win, what they earn. Uh, so that actually is a really good deal for all of us uh, because we are not out any money here. Uh, and we stand a good chance, a uh, pretty solid chance of recovering something that will help us defray the costs. It's not going to do the whole uh, measure by any means, uh, but certainly it's more than what's available now if we don't do this, which is zero. And so uh, Mark and I both 
talked with the folks at Keller Rohrbach, we think that it's a good idea for us to hire them to represent the town in the PFAS litigation so we have a chance to make a recovery, really uh, save uh, some measure of money for our citizens. So I have a proposed motion right here and uh, would ask you to consider it. If you have any other questions, please feel free to ask, ask us at this time. Any further questions for Michael or Mark? Seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council for a proposed motion. I move to authorize the town attorney to enter into a professional services and contingency fee agreement with Keller Rohrbach LLP to represent the town of Castle Rock in multi-district litigation against companies who manufacture, market, and sell products containing PFAS. Second. I have a first from Tim Deeds, a second from Laura Cavey. Any further discussion? I just want to say thank you guys. I, I know this is a, it's a big endeavor. Um, I know it's a national, or for that matter, international issue. Um, so thank you again. I have uh, a first and a second. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pertan Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Great. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Moving on to the acceptance of the agenda. There are no changes, additions, or deletions to the agenda. A motion to accept the agenda as presented will be accepted. Move to accept the agenda. Second. First by Councilmember Dietz, second by Councilmember, sorry, Councilmember LaFleur, a second by Councilmember Cavey. Um, now we move on to the consent calendar. These are, uh, we get roll call vote. Councilmember Hollingshead? Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Potem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes 6 0. Thank you. Moving on to the consent calendar. These items are generally routine in nature and have been previously reviewed by town council and voted on in a single motion without discussion. Any member of town council may remove an item from the consent calendar. Number 10, resolution 2023-104. Resolution approving the tri-party agreement design services for Highway um, 85 um, West Wastewater Collection and Treatment System Project. Number 11, minutes 2023-15, minutes July 18th, 2023, town council meeting. I'll set this motion. So moved. Second. First by Merch Pro Tem Bracken, second by Desla Fleur. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Council our Mayor yes. Pro Tem Bracken? Mayor Gray. Aye. Motion passes 6-0. Thank you. Moving on to quasi-judicial hearings, the following item. It was due process hearing required under Colorado law in order to afford all parties due process under law. The town council members must be fair and impartial in deciding whether applications should be approved, approved with conditions, or denied. In making a determination, each council member must consider for the record, which includes planning commission recommendation, staff recommendation, the applicant presentation, public comment presented during the hearing, or the written comments offered uh, before or during the hearing, 
under council law, must evaluate the proposed base solely on the record and the efforts and the criteria established under municipal code, which are highlighted in the staff report. It is important that each council member re remain objective and capable of considering information offered into the record during the hearing. If any council member believes that he or she is incapable of evaluating and voting on this application consistent with these due process requirements, please describe the situation and recuse yourself from further participation. Does any council member have a conflict of interest that he or she would like to disclose prior to the proceeding. Seeing none, Madam Clerk, has the public hearing been properly noticed under applicable regulations for this type of land use hearings? Mayor, yes it has. Thank you. The council will, will now hear from the public and staff and public comments will be taken at, at a minute of four minutes per speaker. Council will also be accepting written comments submitted online at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be entered into the record. Number 12, resolution 2023-105, resolution approving the site development plan for senior multifamily residential housing project. Tara. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Uh, this is a site development plan for a proposed senior multifamily uh, complex in the Meadows. Uh, this site, this map, excuse me, shows a vicinity map. So the subject property highlighted in blue is southwest of the intersection with Meadows Parkway and Highway 85. Uh, you can see that it is south of Meadows Parkway and uh, commercial development off of Regent Street to the north. Um, Overall, this lot is just over 17.3 acres. Uh, it is going to be split into three different developable lots. And as you'll see on some of the future slides, we the site development plan that we're seeing tonight is related to just one of those lots. Uh, surrounding properties um, to the west is the Advent Health Castle Rock uh, Hospital Complex. Uh, northwest, if you will, of the site is the Meadows Express Car Wash. There's a come and go gas station and some storage um, facilities there. Uh, the east of the property is the Plum Creek Trail as well as floodplain and open space. And then really on the southwest of the property is uh, another retail center in the Meadows that includes the AMC Castle Rock 12 movie theater. So that just orientates to where uh, this site is located. Um, I should also point out that uh, the BNSF railroad tracks run right along the west side of the property, if you will. A uh, history of approval. So this parcel of land is a part of the original 1984 annexation and zoning of the much larger Meadows Plan Development Area. Uh, there have been a variety of zoning amendments over the years. In 2003 is when the Meadows PD Fourth Amendment was approved. Uh, that's the current zoning that's on this property. Uh, this parcel is zoned a COI, which stands for Commercial Office Industrial. As a part of Commercial Office Industrial, the only residential uses that are allowed on this property are for senior multifamily housing. Uh, so that is the uh, what the proposal is tonight. So it's an allowed use. Um, additionally, office, retail, light industrial, recreation type uses are also allowed in this area. I do want to make it clear that single family homes and traditional multifamily units, um, not age restricted, are not an allowed use in this area of the meadows. Uh, so for this property. Uh, specific to this site, so I'll walk through some of the site development plan components. Um, you can see that this larger area is broken into several different lots. There's two commercial lots um, up near Meadows Parkway, and then the subject for tonight's um, approval 
or decision is highlighted in red. That's where the, uh, we also call it the affinity uh, multifamily property that's proposed. Uh, wanted to uh, orientate where we're at on Meadows Parkway. Uh, they are proposing a new private drive called Regent Circle that would wind through this um, land that doesn't currently have a driveway access to it. Uh, the first Western Drive aligns with Regent Street. There is a currently a full median in here that prohibits access, but this site has been identified through previous uh, traffic studies um, and requirements that the uh, overall uh, Meadows developer, Castle Rock Development Company, is required to put in a full signal at this location. Uh, so that will be the full movement access for the parcel that we're discussing tonight. Uh, that project has already gone through town review and approvals for construction plans. It has gone out to bid. Uh, bids um, by CRDC are currently under review. There will be possibly interviews of contractors in the next few weeks and then an award of the bid. So in the next month or two, construction at Regent and Meadows Parkway is likely to start uh, for the construction of the signal. That is part of the broader requirements of this corridor and development both north and south of Meadows Parkway. It is not triggered specifically by the applicant tonight. We did get a lot of questions on it at Planning Commission, so I wanted to make sure it was clear that that was happening as it is the full movement access for this property. Uh, Regent Circle will wind through um, the land as I described on the eastern side right at the edge of the map, apologies for that, is where the current um, trailhead parking is located for the trail that's always been a temporary trailhead. Uh, that will be the end of Regent Circle. It's a limited access there. It will have a right in and right out for the property, um, and I believe a left in, but you wouldn't be able to take a left out and go west, uh, so you'd have to go back to the signal for that. Um, so I did just mention, I just highlighted in a green box where the existing trailhead parking is. We've always known that as temporary. There's approximately 14 spaces there now. Uh, this site plan would relocate um, the trailhead parking to the area in solid green. I believe it has about 16 spaces in it there. So that still provides access to the trail, but also uh, allows the road to go through and stay out of the floodplain and uh, I believe the Prevels, Meadows, Jumping Mouse habitat issues that are on that eastern edge. So now I'll talk through, so overall the area in red, the area subject to the single, um, excuse me, the multifamily senior lot is just over uh, five and a half acres, 5.75 acres, so that's really what we'll dive into next. Um, on this site plan, you can see a close-up of, of the layout. Um, it is a modified H-shaped building. They're proposing 174 total dwelling units in it. Uh, the first floor is primarily garaged parking, uh, and then there'll be three floors of units. Um, overall, the building's at over 255,000 square feet. There is parking on site. I'll take a minute to talk through a little bit of the parking. This application came in prior to our recent code changes. However, they are providing above and beyond the parking both under the old code and the new code. So I'll, I'll talk through that. Uh, the old code for senior housing required one space per unit plus a number of spaces for the employees on the maximum shift. So under those regulations, which are the ones that legally apply to this applicant, uh, they are required to provide 179 parking spaces. They are providing 262 parking spaces. Um, about 87 are 
surface that you see in this image, uh, the remaining are on that first floor garaged under the building. So the 262 spaces is equivalent to 1.5 spaces per unit. Uh, so just wanted to make sure everyone was aware that they are parking this over and above our new code. So our new code, um, we increased it to 1.1 space per unit. Um, so they are parking it above and beyond that. Um, again, it's a four-story building. The uh, applicant who'll speak later tonight has more information they'll show on the architectural renderings of it. Uh, but in the Meadows area, they're required to have 360-degree architecture. Um, they'll have some elements of stone veneer. Uh, the building height is just under 55 feet. The zoning allows up to 60 feet in this area. Additional amenities, they'll have an indoor pool for residents, I believe a, a movie theater area, a pickleball court, uh, outdoor dog park, community garden. So you can see they've put a lot of their amenities on the rear side of the building, uh, furthest away from Meadows uh, Parkway. And then their east side would face out over to um, the trail area and floodplain area. So overall, that's my walkthrough of, um, of the site development plan. Uh, staff reviewed it against our requirements, the town's guiding documents, as well as the specific zoning requirements of the Meadows Fourth Amendment, um, as well as Castle Rock Municipal Code Chapter 1738, which is specific to site development plan review criteria. Um, it does meet all of those requirements in the town's technical requirements uh, regarding site circulation, uh, pedestrian connectivity, um, all of that type of thing. So Planning Commission reviewed this on July 27th and they voted six to zero to recommend approval to town council. Uh, so that's what we have before you tonight. I'm happy to take, um, oh, well I have some motions. Uh, obviously uh, to approve the resolution as introduced by title is the staff recommended motion and then two alternate motions if you need additional information or have any conditions. Uh, the applicant is with us tonight and has a presentation to make and I'm happy to answer any questions now or after the applicant's presentation. Yes, ma'am. Is this an age-restricted community? It is age-restricted to 55 and over. Okay. So that is the only residential use that's allowed in this zone. It has to be age-restricted uh, okay. to be here. So, yes. Thank you. Yes. Any other more questions for Tara? So, um, Thank you. If not, uh, the applicant, uh, Representative Keith James, is with us tonight, and he has a presentation to make also. Thank you. Uh, good evening. Oops, is this on? Uh, good evening, Mayor, uh, Council Members. Uh, Keith James with the Inland Group. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we've been uh, at the site for quite some time working on it, so it's uh, great to finally be here. It feels like quite the milestone. Um, my real goal for tonight is to keep it brief and introduce you to us, the developer, the owner, and the concept of affinity, and then really answer any questions, especially given the great uh, summary that Tara gave. I, I, I will try to keep it super brief. Um, First of all, the Inland Group, we're a Spokane, Washington-based developer and general contractor, um, owner, operator of uh, housing, and, and in this case, our Affinity Active Adult Community brand. Um, we currently have 28 communities in seven states, another three under construction. We are in the front range. Uh, 
Our first community was in Lafayette, uh, followed by Colorado Springs, then Fort Collins, then Loveland, uh, and then Aurora uh, in the Copper Leaf neighborhood. So this will be number six for affinity in the Front Range. And have our, had our eyes on Castle Rock for a long time and, and really happy to finally have found a, a site that we believe works well. Um, uh, I'll touch just a brief moment on, on the unit mix and the product type, um, mostly two bedroom units and one bedroom units, a small number of studio units. It's important to note this is not um, assisted living or traditional retirement housing or skilled nursing. Um, it, it is highly amenitized, age restricted by deed restriction senior housing. It's really a new, somewhat new niche in real estate referred to as active adult that is getting a lot of attention around the nation. Um, if you haven't, if this is your first introduction to it, you'll probably hear more about it soon. It is growing quickly. Um, I won't touch on much of the details of the uh, exteriors or amenities uh, given Tara's summary of the community, but I will say this, uh, Affinity, it, it really is a resident-driven community, uh, community-driven uh, community, for lack of a better word. From, from the name Affinity itself, the folks that live there um, have an affinity for fun. They have a, an affinity for community and for being active. Um, we, we don't, for example, have an activities director that um, knocks on doors and gets people out for bingo. That's kind of more older school traditional retirement housing. We have a, a master gardener that runs the pea patch gardens. We have the pickleball enthusiasts that set up the league. Um, same with uh, maybe movie nights or, or, or Broncos nights or uh, Nuggets nights, whatever the case is. So it, it really is a community-based um, it's it's a, a, a choice-based housing rather than a needs-based housing like more traditional retirement housing would be. You see the list of amenities here. Probably most important for me to touch on before I answer any questions is, is really just um, some of the photos and representative design. Um, I think my very last photo is a rendering, um, but a couple of the photos here are, are mostly representative. This, uh, the community in the top left is uh, Ramsey, Minnesota. And you can see it, it's similar structure in that there's a garage structure on the ground level, three stories of housing above, a covered uh, entry uh, with a porch that looks out over that covered entry. Um, that garage is not just blank garage, concrete wall, but dressed to look residential. Um, pool building is mentioned, pool and spa, game room, um, outdoor barbecue area, outdoor lounge wood shop, um, idea of the theater room, Dilly Dally's pub, uh, golf simulator room, you name it. The idea is to, uh, for folks that want to have fun, um, senior folks that want to have fun, there's lots and lots of opportunities for that. Uh, units, uh, again, are, are designed uh, to be comfortable, um, but also we're, we're kind of a middle market product. Um, which in our case, the all-inclusive rents, so it's utilities, it's all, uh, it's Wi-Fi, it's you name it, all included, um, range from about 1,800 to just over 3,000. So um, that may not sound very affordable, but compared to some of the other senior housing in the marketplace, that is a kind of mid-market. Um, so last, I, I'll go to the rendering. Um, 
just give you a, a general idea. So similar to the photo that you saw, but kind of a closer up view. Um, and then I would also just mention the, the demographics in the market. I mean, we've definitely wanted to be here um, for geographic reasons and, and love the town of Castle Rock. There are, in the primary market area that was defined as a, a seven mile range, there were about 9,200 seniors um, in that area. About 750 were, were qualified from an income level. So we sort of excluded the folks at the very high end that probably wouldn't want um, a multifamily type dwelling and the folks at the lower end that couldn't afford it. Um, that 9,200 uh, grows at about 1,000 a year and that's because of people aging uh, more so than in migration. And the 750 grows by about 100 a year. So our 174 is expected to be uh, well-received and, and leased within a, a 12 to 15 month period. So with that, I'll, um, I'll make the presentation brief as promised and just be available for any questions. Any questions for the applicant? Laura Cavey? So you said you have five other of these communities in Colorado? We do. Are they fully leased? Uh, they, they are. Um, I believe our Aurora community is about 88% leased. The other are 95 plus percent. So they've been well received in those communities? They have, yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Any more questions for the applicant? Max Brooks. Uh, parking. <clears throat> Uh, it's fantastic, great, thank you. I'm glad that you're parking it above what would be our old or new requirements either way, but uh, you, because you're parking at, at such a higher uh, level than what would have been required. I'm just curious why you do that. It's not because you like building parking lots. There must be a reason. I'm curious what that is. Yeah, well, the reason is the 28 other communities and, and the proven parking demand. We, we, on average, build about 1.5 stalls per unit and that's been about the demand. It, in a couple of jurisdictions, we've been required to build 1.6 or 1.7. Those stalls sit empty. In a couple of our early days, we did a little bit less in maybe a location where we thought we didn't need it as much, and there's been some parking issues. So really the 1.5 is the sweet spot for us. Um, I'll say adequate, if not more than adequate, um, relative to your code, your recently adopted code. I don't think it's wrong by any measure, uh, but for us and a, you know, a market rate product, we want to make sure that we get that right. Uh, and just out of interest, does that vary dependent on uh, connectivity to mass transit with the location of where your other communities are? Uh, it does a bit. It depends on, you know, even proximity to grocery store was probably the biggest thing, but that was maybe over touted a little bit because even if you're next door to the grocery store, most people weren't walking to the grocery store anyhow and walking back with bags. So um, I, the other thing I'll mention here is similar to our two Minnesota communities where covered parking, garage parking is required. There's 174 units, or excuse me, stalls in the parking garage, which equates to the number of units. So the idea is that every resident would have uh, or every unit would come with it, a covered parking stall, a garage stall, and then the surface stalls available for additional parking and or guests. Thank you. Yeah. Any more questions for Keith? Seeing none, um, we're, we will, uh, have no one signed up to speak. If someone wishes to speak, 
please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone callers to press star three. Please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. We have one online. Go ahead and speak if you may. Um, my name is Wanda Vogt and I'm a resident of Castle Rock. I was wondering, in looking at your pictures um, and speaking of your parking situation, I was wondering what you're including for ADA, especially wheelchair users. Um, I don't see anything in the pictures that would accommodate somebody that can't transfer on their own and that need the extra um, van parking where they have 96 feet next to the van to deploy their ramp um, to be able to have access to your locations. Thank you. Keith or uh, Tara, can you speak to that? So, do you know Rihanna? Yes. Let's oh, consult Rihanna. Then. Perfect. <laughs> on the project. Yeah, go ahead. Perfect. So for this project, there are 15 ADA spaces provided. Only 14 were required per the ADA requirements. Um, so they are above that. And part of our requirements does require van parking as well. I don't know the breakdown of regular ADA to van parking, um, but that is in our code. Thank you very much. Um, may I say um, the ADA code is one van spot per 200 parking spaces, but with the senior community growing the way they are, especially here in Douglas County, um, they predict that 78% of baby boomers will have need for handicap accessibility, not just for parking, but within housing. Um, no threshold showers, um, a lift for the pool, um, elevators in the unit. Um, to go up to three flights, that kind of thing. Um, right now, 98% um, of wheelchair users never go in the community because they can't access the community because of um, van parking. Thank you. Uh, Keith, please follow up. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to respond. So similar to our, our parking ratio being more than the old code and even more than the new code, uh, our interest is in providing a product that's marketable and well-received and, and leases and stays leased and, and with happy residents for decades to come. So um, we certainly meet minimum codes always for ADA. We have nice wide hallways, nice wide doors, um, completely, uh, there are a number of ADA um, uh, units as well as the remainder of the units are all ADA adaptable units. Um, so I, I, uh, just generally speaking, the, the pool has a lift, uh, for example. Um, the number of stalls is, is usually, the number of ADA stalls is normally uh, slightly above code, uh, just based on needs. Um, I didn't mention elevator service building, but naturally this, this big building um, has two elevators. Um, stair use is, is not expected uh, on a regular basis. Thank you, Keith. 
Anybody else online or in person would like to speak? Thank you. Any follow-up, uh, Tara, are you good? Seeing none, we're back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Move to approve the resolution as introduced by title. Second. Have a first by Max Brooks, second by Ryan Hollinshead. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Brochem Bracken. Yes. Mayor Gray. Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Thank you. Moving on to number 13, Ordinance 2023-17, Ordinance approving the Second Amendment to the View at Castle Rock Redevelopment and Financing Agreement between the Town of Castle Rock and the Castle Rock Downtown Development Authority and Castle Rock View Investors, LLC. David? Mayor and Council, I'm joined this evening by Kevin Tilson, the Executive Director of the Downtown Alliance and also uh, Banks Floodman, uh, the, the developer of this project. Um, Earlier this summer, we received a uh, letter from the developer of the VIEW project requesting an eight-month extension of the redevelopment agreement's requirement for uh, an occupancy permit. We require a building permit and an occupancy permit in our redevelopment agreements to um, ensure that projects are timely executed and we don't have um, redevelopment incentives sitting out there um, unused. So uh, the development provided a uh, overview of why they are requesting an eight-month extension. Um, they, there have been some unforeseen site issues and staff has had to be involved in some of them, particularly regarding some of the utility issues. I think we're generally familiar with some of the supply chain issues and then they also point to some uh, insurance issues to be able to timely proceed with the project. Um, as, as outlined in this uh, PowerPoint and also in your, in your memo, um, the original agreement that was uh, approved by town council had a uh, June 30th, 2021 building permit and an August 1st, 2023 um, CFO uh, requirement for occupancy. Um, that um, was then followed up with an amendment that um, also uh, came before council where um, they did meet the, the building permit requirement, which was met um, last year in, uh, in January. And then uh, was, we extended the certificate of occupancy to May the 1st of 2024. Um, as the Castle Rock View investors have indicated, they don't believe they're gonna meet that time frame. So they are proposing a second amendment date of the end of, of, of next year. As a reminder of the project, um, over 200,000 square foot mixed use development um, adds 221 for rent units downtown. Uh, there's retail, restaurant, and office space associated with the project. Um, number of parking spaces, we've been talking about that quite a bit here. Uh, they do exceed the uh, requirement that was uh, on the books um, for 78 spaces, by, by 78 spaces. Significantly, as part of the redevelopment agreement, the uh, Downtown Development Authority Special Fund is paying $3 million of the fees 
that were um, tagged on this project. It was close to $5 million total in fees. And in exchange for that $3 million, we're getting 100 public parking spaces uh, that the town will own and be able to uh, provide for parking within the, the, the downtown area. So that's part of the, the redevelopment that um, agreement as well. You see some of the other information in regards to parking on the site. Um, this uh, recommended amendment doesn't change the town's financial obligations uh, from the original agreement. Um, and uh, the, the council ha had previously approved um, the, uh, the, the, uh, the redevelopment agreement and then also um, you've got some history in regards to the design review board action approving the original site plan. In regards to the, uh, the, the second amendment, uh, the downtown development authority is part of the redevelopment agreement because of the um, share of funds that goes toward the project and um, they have approved the, uh, the second amendment. Uh, the development has, uh, has also signed the agreement and we also are, are recommending approval. So those are the, uh, the, the, uh, the motions that we have there and I'm going to turn it over to uh, uh, Mr. Tilson uh, to represent the Downtown Development uh, Authority on, on this project. Good evening, Honorable Mayor and members of Town Council. Uh, my name is Kevin Tilson. I'm the director of the Castle Rock Downtown Alliance. And as you all know, but in case members of the public are watching, the Downtown Alliance is a partnership between two organizations, the Downtown Merchants Association, which is a nonprofit, and the Downtown Development Authority, which is a special district with the goal of creating and maintaining an active and vibrant downtown. And as Dave mentioned, the Downtown Development Authority is a party to this agreement. And I, I thought I would do a, a very quick kind of re recap on the site. Um, when we look at downtown redevelopment, it is really nice to look at the history. It's really nice to look at code changes. It, it's really nice to look at decisions that prior town councils have made in regards to the direction of, of downtown Castle Rock. And, and so if you go all the way back to 2006, seven and eight, the town council created a downtown advisory commission that, that looked at downtown and tried to determine what types of goals we should have for downtown Castle Rock. And as a part of those discussions, we specifically talked about this site. And if you remember back then, this was a storage site. Um, storage units in downtown is, is not a great use in any downtown. Our code currently doesn't allow storage units to exist in a downtown. This particular site was grandfathered in. But if you look at the site, it was, it was wrapped in a chain link fence that had barbed wire at the top of it. And if you walked down 8th Street or 6th Street and wanted to walk up Jerry Street, um, there wasn't even a sidewalk in, in front of this property. And, and there was discussions then to say, hey, if somebody ever wants to invest in Castle Rock and redevelop a site, this is a great site for redevelopment. And if we were so lucky as a community, as a downtown development authority, as a town, we would love to then approach that future property owner and suggest that they add more public parking than they need for whatever they want to do. And if they would, and they're not required to by code, but if they would um, give us some public parking that, that we could buy because it's the largest site with one contiguous owner in all of downtown. And so if you fast forward to the view redevelopment agreement that's in place right now, um, 
we, we, we did just that. So, so Sunflower Development came in and proposed a project on the site, and then we came in and said, we want you to go above and beyond the code and the zoning that's in place. And so we said, increase the parking for what you want to do, high quality facade, first floor retail and restaurant, because we know that's good for a vibrant downtown. Um, we, we asked them to add office space to their project because we know that what makes or breaks any downtown economy is having a daytime population Monday through Friday. So, so Castle Cafe is busy Friday and Saturday, but what will make or break them is whether or not there are office users, daytime population in a downtown. And so we asked them to do that. And, uh, and above all that, and significantly, as Dave mentioned, we, we asked them to build us 100 public parking spaces that we could buy at a market rate. And um, we, we were very lucky that we had a high-quality developer with a proven track record with public-private partnerships, and they agreed to all of our requests. And um, that's the agreement that's in place. And, and so now that they've come to us with, with a handful of um, you know, early reasons why they think they may not meet the deadline next year, um, we think it's a good thing to extend the view agreement if for no other reason than the 100, 100 public parking spaces that this agreement requires them to build and, and then give or, or sell to, to the town of Castle Rock, which we think we very much need in downtown. Uh, with that, I'll, I'll end my comments, uh, unless you want me to stay up here for any questions. Any questions? Uh, Laura Cavey. What is their reason for asking for the extension? I could speak to that, but I think we should have the developer, or I think the developer is queued oh, up here? to speak okay. to that. Um, although I think they had a handful of, of items. Dave, anything else? No, just the, um, in, 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 uh, Mr. Flubbin can, uh, can, can, can speak to that. In your, in your packet, they've, they list um, uh, in, in a letter that came, came to us here earlier in the summer, they list uh, five different uh, reasons, unforeseen site issues. Um, I do know about the sanitary sewer bypass issues. We had a lot of challenges with that, working with them, eventually got it corrected. There was groundwater. Um, they had um, make sure the binding insurance with the, the condo component of the for the public parking where we're going to own that that parking, although they, they own the rest of the structure. They had price escalation issues, which I, I know I know we're familiar with, and then they had a requirement that core um, had to bury certain utilities um, for for offsite, and um, core has been busy, and sometimes they have slowed down projects as well. So Mr. Floodman can amplify on that, but that's a, that's a good question. Yep, um, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Dave. Um, Council, good to see everybody again. Um, I can assure you coming in and asking for an extension is, is not something that we like to do, especially in an interest rate environment where we're at 8% and not 3 or 4% anymore. Um, but unfortunately, um, we are in a situation where we have significant un, unforeseen conditions. and. Um, um, the town manager uh, alluded to a few of them. The main one um, for us has been the dewatering, which at one point in time we were having to take out roughly 25 to 30,000 gallons of water a day because we had some groundwater on our site that, that um, ended up causing significant delays on the northwest corner of the site. That's why when you look at the project now, you notice that we're framing everything on the south side of the site. Well, we were able to do all that work, so now we have to, you know, um, sequence a little bit more strategically with our development, and because we couldn't pour the concrete as early as we wanted to on that north side because of the dewatering um, that had to take place, um, you know, there was a, it was a you know wet, rainy, 
snowy winter. Um, we have our GC working Saturdays a lot of times to make up ground. Um, we're doing everything we can to deliver this product um, on time um, and, and on budget, and, and uh, we will continue to do that. But unfortunately, we have run into some situations that are, are going to cause a, a little bit of delay on the project. Um, core um, energy has been another area that we've really had to navigate. Um, working with adjacent property owners on where transformers go, et cetera, burying those utilities, um, because that's something that we did want to do because we knew, A, it was right um, for the overall development and adjacent property owners. Um, those utility lines, a lot of them, weren't, they don't feed our site. Um, they feed the adjacent sites, but the proximity to the balconies, et cetera, on the, on the east side was something that we felt um, overall, um, it was best to, to bury those utility lines. Binding the insurance, um, the condo provision in Colorado um, creates a lot of nuances when it comes to an insurance perspective. And so having that condo component in the parking garage via the 100 public spaces that are going to be provided um, took a lot more time than, than, than we initially anticipated. Supply chain management from COVID. Uh, another thing that uh, that really put our GC in a position where the construction timeline initially they were comfortable with was you know 21, 22 months. Well, it's 24, 25 now because they're concerned with transformers and roofing materials and um, distrib metal distrib um, distribution systems, etc. And then the retaining wall we had on the east side, which, um, you know, per some initial information, we were going to be able to salvage and utilize for the development. But unfortunately, uh, we had to take down that entire east side retaining wall, uh, which put us in a position where we had to reshore um, and rebuild that entire east side. So that took a little bit more time than, um, than we would have liked. So I'm not a fan of making excuses at all, um, especially when it comes to a beautiful development like this. But um, um, given given some, some of the items I just mentioned, um, we would appreciate um, an extension and um, and hopefully look forward to seeing everybody at the uh, grand opening. And I'm happy to answer any additional questions you might have. Additional questions for Banks? Uh, Councilmember Dietz. Okay, for David. Dave as well is fine. I have one for Dave. Sure. Dave, I just want to clarify that how, how is this going to uh, affect our rate of investment on this and the sales tax that we may or may not be losing on this? Well, actually, the, the development is losing the opportunity for sales tax and property tax increment every month because when the Downtown Development Authority expires, so does the tax increment. So they're the one really that's being penalized from from that standpoint. Um, the um, the I suppose we're not getting the benefit of the the parking for for eight months, but we're getting a, hopefully a structure that's responding to all the things that have happened in an unforeseen way and in, in 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 a better way as well. The the one comment I would make is is that um, we're getting um, parking spaces at uh, covered parking at thirty thousand dollars. Uh, a piece. Um, the the going market rate right now is probably closer to forty thousand. When I talked with a, uh, um, a a parking consultant, a large parking consultant uh, firm that we're uh, looking at, you know, downtown parking options in the future somewhere. Um, that was the price that they said. Yep, forty thousand dollars is pretty much the going rate. So, 
We think we think we got a good bargain in regards to that, as far as the thirty thousand dollars is a space, because uh, that's locked in, and our price does not change, even though their prices, as they point out in their letter, have all gone up. Our price doesn't change. So, Councilmember, hopefully, I'm getting at your question, um, but I mean, I think that's that's part of the, the the back and forth in regards to that. I think it's a it's a pretty good business practice to recognize that things happen in a project, and um, we're still we're still favorable to the project uh, from a staff standpoint. So um, we we think it's appropriate to to make this eight month extension. Laura Cavey. Oh, there you go. Okay. Any further questions? Seeing none, I have no one's time to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature. And phone and callers to press star three. And please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a potential motion and some discussion. Uh, Mayor, I move to approve the ordinance as introduced by title. Second. I have a first by Desi LaFleur, second by Ryan Hollingshead, um, and I'd like to, uh, to speak about it a little bit. Um, I'm, in, I'm in favor, and I was in favor from, from, from the get-go. I think it's a good project. I, I still think it's a good project. Uh, the one thing I like to, uh, for Sunflower uh, and, and the VIEW project to be mindful of is I go about every four or five days before I get a complaint about Jerry Street. Um, Usually, it's somebody who um, either has a, a business on uh, the building across the street, uh, Domino's. Uh, there's a couple other places there, um, because of closures um, and access. So that's something I'd like to be mindful of, um, because it's something that, that uh, you know that hurts those businesses. Eventually, it's going to help those businesses. I think a lot, um, but right now, I, I know that they when they have to when they don't have access, it's it's, it's definitely a bummer, and they come to me uh, and us. So, thank you. We do have a first and a second. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Council Member Hollingshead? Aye. Council Member Cavey? No. Council Member LaFleur? Aye. Council Member Brooks? Aye. Council Member Dietz? No. Um, Mayor Pertem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes five to two. Thank you. Moving on to number 14 on the agenda, 2023-16, ordinance amending uh, 10.08.010 of the Catastrophic Municipal Code regarding restricted parking and neighborhood parking permit program. Second reading. Matthew. Thank you, Mayor, and good evening, Town Council. Uh, so this item is the second reading of the ordinance that is associated with the neighborhood parking permit program. As you may recall, uh, back in July, we presented this item, uh, the first reading of the ordinance, as well as a resolution to approve the program. Both of those items did pass five to two. And um, again, we're here for second reading of the ordinance. Um, the ordinance is required in order for um, the Castle Rock Police Department to be able to enforce this program. And uh, th it does update code to acknowledge that this program uh, is part of the town policies. I do want to point out that there have been no changes to this ordinance after it was approved on first reading. Um, if the ordinance is approved tonight, the neighborhood parking permit program would go into effect uh, with the implementation of the ordinance, so 30 days after today. 
Um, I will provide a quick overview. I know you've heard me say this a couple of times for this program, um, but just briefly, this program is intended to be a last resort option for neighborhood parking needs. Uh, it is a neighborhood-driven process and is intended to assist with parking issues in residential areas that are adjacent to high-density developments, such as multifamilies uh, or school developments. The neighborhood-driven process will require at least 75% support from the neighbors in a, in a dedicated area. And um, again, this, uh, this is with, to be located within those residential areas adjacent to high-density developments. Um, all areas, if they pass through the town's review, would come to town council for final approvals. And once a program would be approved, each resident would receive two parking permits plus two visitor permits. And they would also have the ability to request one day uh, special event permits throughout the year for parties and gatherings, those types of things. Uh, as, as I mentioned, Castle Rock Police would be responsible for enforcing uh, parking in these areas and um, we are not currently sure what the budget impact would be. It would really depend on the number of these program areas that may be approved as well as the size of those. Um, we would really work to keep them as small as possible and to the affected areas. But that said, we would monitor for any budget impacts. Um, it's likely minimal, but uh, it's something we would monitor through time as well if this is approved. So that is a quick overview, um, but I'm happy to answer questions. And um, I do have a proposed motion on the screen as well. Any questions from Matt or staff? Max Brooks? Yeah, I imagine, obviously, if you need to come back for some sort of uh, additional budget approval, then we'll know about it. But uh, outside of that, uh, is there any sort of plan to be able to update council on just overall impact uh, about you know, requests and you know what the what the budgets are, just on a say a quarterly or at least a couple of year or a couple of times a year? Um, we didn't dedicate a specific follow up time with these, but uh, as applications were are presented to the town, that's certainly something we could share with council. Uh, yes, sir. David. I, we think these are not going to be all that frequent. So I think what we can do is if we, if we get a request, you all will see it as in, in, a, in a council update. So you would know that it's occurring. And then we would go through our process to analyze it, do all those things. And then it would eventually have to come back to you all to authorize. Okay. So we think, you'll, we think you'll have a pretty good pulse for this as to whether or not we get um, a substantial number of them or not. And what the budget that's, is. That's at least my, my, my observation okay. in regards to this. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Dietz. Thank you. Uh, so that's two parking and then two gas. Correct. I, I just for the sake of it, it looks like what replacements are 15 each, so they're getting two up front. Correct. There's no charge for the initial permits that would be issued. Okay. If someone loses a permit, something along those lines, then. But if they need more and they're having a Christmas party and they have 10 extra cars coming, there will be cost? No. If, if it's for an event, residents within an approved area would be able to apply for a one-day event permit. And I believe it was up to 10 or so additional permits that they would but be they able to But they are limited. Uh, they are limited. Okay. Thank you. Any further questions from Matt or staff? 
Seeing none, I have no incentive to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and callers can press star three. Please state your name. And whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a proposed motion and a discussion. Yep, uh, Councilmember Dietz. Yeah, I just, you know, I look at stuff like this because of um, past decisions or lack of, I don't like penalizing people that have to live in areas that maybe that's all they can afford due to multifamily or obtaining or purchasing permits over a certain amount because they want to have people over for Christmas. I don't like parking tickets, permits, or parking meters that penalize uh, now for improper thought and zoning of the past. So I think there, you know, this is one of those things where we should try to look at ordinances going forward. So I'm not for this type of parking permit. Thank you. Thank you. And for a discussion, uh, Kevin, Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Yeah, I, I tend to disagree with the opposite concept. This is a very targeted, uh, the council member Dietz, this is a very targeted area um, in that the, the neighborhood gets assessed for how many homes are going to be affected by the area that could potentially be overridden by the by the multifamily apartments or um, whatever project is 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 adding to the area or consuming the parking that are is spilling over into the neighborhood. So um, it, it's really protecting the property values um, of the of the properties that border the areas that perhaps they should address the the parking as the complex versus having the burden fall on a single family home. So it's kind of the, the, the concept. So all depends on where you want the pain to come from. I think the, the burden should be on, uh, on the apartment complex. And I think this is a great way to protect the single family homes. Any further discussion? Any proposed motion? I move to approve ordinance 2023-016. Introduced by title, second reading. Second. Uh, first by Mayor Pro Tem Bracken and Brian Hollingshead. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? No. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? No. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes five to two. Thank you. Moving on to number 15, ordinance 2023-18, ordinance amending uh, section 17.48.090 of the Castle Rock Municipal Code regarding approval of variances on the town skyline ridgeline protection regulations. Tara. Great, good evening, council and mayor. Um, this is a follow-up to our discussion at the last council meeting. Uh, so we have prepared an ordinance as requested just as a, a quick refresher and for anybody that's watching, watching this new tonight, uh, Skyline Ridgelight Ordinance was first adopted in 1999. There's various areas that are protected around town uh, that really limit building height for new construction uh, to either 25 feet, uh, 35 feet, or no build areas. Uh, the code as originally written in 1999 and then amended um, once over the years put the variance authority 
with Planning Commission. So in our last discussion here, we talked about changing that to have Town Council be the deciding authority on variances. So no other substantial changes to the ordinance um, and how it is laid out and how it is utilized. So in your packet, uh, you have a draft ordinance for consideration tonight on first reading. Um, for this section, we identified single lots separately from a multi-lot request. So if a homeowner uh, was doing an addition to a home that would be affected or just a, a single lot custom builder, uh, they would just come straight before town council for that review. Uh, they still have to meet all of the requirements, uh, the burden of proof, if you will, under the variance section for why they feel that their lot is not subject to the code. For multiple lot requests, a multi-lot request, we have identified that and proposed in the code that that would be a part of the site development plan uh, for the residential neighborhood and that would go to planning commission first as a part of that site development plan recommendation to town council and then when you're hearing the site development plan on uh, for the property you would also then be deciding on the variance so in both of these scenarios town council is the deciding body so that is the ordinance that is attached in your packet for first reading uh, staff obviously recommends uh, approval of this so we have crafted a straightforward motion for your consideration, and I'm happy to answer any additional questions you may have. Any further questions for Tara staff? Seeing none, I have no one's time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone in callers and press star three and state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring that town council, back to town council for a proposed motion or potential motion and discussion. I move to approve this ordinance as introduced by title. Second. I have a first by Max Brooks, a second by Laura Cavey. I'd like to speak in favor of the motion. Um, previously, uh, I have spoken in uh, not in favor of this motion. Uh, since then, I talked to staff um, and I've talked to Max Brooks ex extensively. Um, and uh, had decided to change my vote. Uh, so I do appreciate the conversation with Max and staff. Thank you very much. We do have for, for first and second. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. No. Mayor Gray. Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we had one. We had one. one. No. Six one. Six one. Oh, I'm sorry. I could not understand you. So. Thank you, Kevin. Number 16, um, Ordinance 2023-19, Ordinance authorizing the, the exercise of the town's powers of eminent domain on the acquire the certain real property interest necessary for Fifth Street widening project. Dan? Thank you, Mayor. Uh, the uh, project team is in the uh, final phase of wrapping up the design for the Fifth Street improvements. and. We'll be ready to move into the uh, property acquisition phase. So we're requesting authorization for the powers of eminent domain should we use it or, or need it uh, if we're unsuccessful with negotiations with property owners. Um, just for the uh, sake of uh, the public and, and uh, folks here that may not be aware with the location, uh, we are widening uh, Fifth Street between Woodlands and uh, the Four Corners intersection, which is the intersection of Ridge and Highway 86. Um, and then we'll be making some pedestrian improvements uh, from uh, Wolfensburger to the west down to uh, Gilbert Street. 
Um, this has been identified as a public need through our transportation master plan. Um, there really is no other location for these improvements. It's needed to um, safely accommodate some of the additional growth in this area from the region as well as the, uh, as, as the uh, town. We have uh, conducted uh, numerous public open houses to, to obtain uh, uh, understanding of the project as well as receive feedback and, and implement that into the design. And those are shown here on this slide. This is an overview of uh, the properties uh, that we're uh, needing to acquire as, as part of the project. Um, the yellow items are existing right away that the town currently owns. Uh, the items in red are uh, additional right-of-way that the town would own, um, and we're showing 21 parcels that are needed for that. Um, there are some temporary easements that we'll need during construction for access for the contractor to get in and construct the project. Those are shown in blue. There's, there's 32 parcels associated with that. And then there's some permanent easements where we need the space, but not necessarily the ownership of the property. Those are for items like uh, protections of slopes, uh, for example, um, for the for the roadway. Um, and I have uh, indicated uh, some improvements at a couple of the intersections. We are looking to add a, a roundabout at uh, Woodlands and Fifth and uh, signal that valley. I'm actually going to turn this portion over to our town attorney because he's much more versed in this area than I am. Oh, you bet. And uh, I think we're just going to go over a little bit of a reminder of uh, eminent domain and then the rules that apply. Uh, eminent domain is a means of acquiring property for public projects. Uh, it's authorized under the United States Constitution. It's authorized under the Colorado Constitution, and you have authority in the town charter to uh, condemn property if need be. Uh, Essentially, it uh, requires two things in Colorado. One, uh, there has to be a public purpose for the project, and clearly I think uh, uh, Dan has uh, certainly stated a public purpose for the uh, uh, improvements that uh, are needed to Fifth Street. So uh, you have the public purpose, and then you have to have a need, actual need uh, to serve that purpose uh, with the property that you are seeking to acquire. So. The property that you're seeking to acquire has to be necessary uh, to undertake the project. Uh, so if you have that, and that's what we are uh, presenting tonight, uh, then uh, you move on. You uh, uh, don't uh, actually go to court right away. Rather, you contact the property owner. You uh, uh, give them a notice of intent that you need their property or a portion of their property for this improvement. You have a requirement under Colorado law to engage in good faith negotiations. And you only proceed to court if uh, you uh, are going to fail at those negotiations, that it's pointless to, to, to negotiate any further. You can't reach agreement. Uh, one of the things, no matter what, is that uh, uh, a landowner is entitled to just compensation under the Constitution of this state. And so we do everything we can with our power to determine that, including uh, 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 doing an appraisal uh, to determine what that fair value is. And uh, under state law, we're entitled, we're required to pay the reasonable cost of appraisal for the property owner as well. Uh, these thing, this process assures that we can uh, do our capital projects, uh, that they can proceed uh, in uh, timely fashion and in accordance with uh, a budget. 
one thing I want you to uh, know and to remember as a part of this process, this is not the last time if we exercise the power of eminent domain that you'll hear from us. Uh, our town code requires that if we are going to go to court, we come back. We afford the property owner who uh, uh, we can't reach agreement with an opportunity for a hearing before you, the town council, and we determine uh, whether uh, we can go forward with the uh, uh, court case. So. We have that extra protection, Castle Rock. I think it's served us well. Uh, but uh, Dan, I think that's all you want to hear from me. And since we have two more ordinances, uh, ditto and ditto. <laughs> <laughs> now, thank you, Mike. And, and this slide shows a, a brief history of some of the situations where we've actually had to exercise that. And it primarily comes down to just a disagreement in the in the price. Um, and like Mike said, uh, uh, that we, we provide the actual landowner with, with a, a second uh, uh, appraisal that they get to choose. Um, this is an overview of the post-ordinance process, and this is uh, what uh, Mike has, has talked about. Uh, really, it's, it's designed to protect both the town and the property owners. So it, it's really uh, uh, designed to be equitable in, 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 the, in the property acquisition need. So happy to answer any questions. Um, if there's none, then the uh, recommended uh, motions are before you. Laura Cavey. It's just standard, I have to ask questions. Can you go back to the actual diagram? So there's that kind of really large, or it looks large on here, the piece that's kind of pink salmon, salmon colored on that, on the right hand side of the road. What is that for? Uh, for detention uh, pond, anytime that we actually add uh, new um, impervious surface like roadway pavements, we have to actually detain the, the, the runoff to historic levels to allow it to um, um, release at, at uh, historical rates. So that's what that's for. How big is that piece of property? Do you know? Um, you know, I don't know that. We might, we might have that in our packet. Okay. Um, but I apologize, I don't have that uh, off the top of my head. I'm just curious because it looks large. I mean, I get some of these smaller ones, you know, when we're talking about just trying to wide, widen Fifth Street. Right. Just that one and then the one down a little bit further past Woodlands looks fairly substantial. Is that also yes. a retention point? Okay. It is, yes. And then my last question is, we have a light at Woodlands today. Correct. Why are we taking out a light and forking out all the money for a roundabout? Well, we, we had forecasted uh, the, the potential for a, a roundabout at that location, and that was a temporary signal that was put in at that time uh, to account for what the future improvement was going to be. Uh, we didn't know if it was going to be a modified uh, signal um, or a roundabout, so that, that signal that was put in was, was, uh, was the most least expensive uh, signal option that we had. Um, so when we came in here and looked at what the desires of the community were to actually try to accommodate a reduction in speed as well as enhance the safety and the operations of that intersection, the, uh, the roundabout was the leading candidate. So we did, we did explore both the signal and the uh, roundabout option as well as trying to do like a modified um, um, what we call a green T, which allows the eastbound to, to go 
um, without having to stop at the intersection. So we, we looked at a variety of different locations in the roundabout, really one out. So are we going to be lowering the speeds then? It's, um, it's currently posted as 45, and with the design, with the medians, we're actually uh, reducing it down to 35. Okay, so we're going from 45 to 35 on that road? Right. It's, it's either 40 or 45, but we are reducing it down to 35. I'm sorry to interrupt. We need to uh, to oh, yeah. make a motion to extend the meeting to 10 o'clock. Move to extend the meeting. Second. I have a first by Desla Floor, second by Laura Cavey. Till 10. Till 10. Think so. Any further discussion? Roll call vote. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Second. Councilmember, er, sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Bricks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pertem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes you. Thank you. Go ahead and follow up, Laura. I think I'm done. I just was curious about all of that. Sure. So, okay. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Any further questions? David? No. Councilman no, uh, Gary, get, get some good questions in regards to the scope of the project. I, I, I attended um, the, the public meetings on the project, and we heard from a number of adjacent property owners their concerns about speed. And so what we've tried to do with the medians, I think medians help slow down traffic. The, the roundabout will have some traffic calming. Um, and then we believe that the posted speed will um, be appropriate as well. So we're, we're trying to get at some of that. So certainly no guarantee in regards to that, but particularly as you know, going downhill, uh, the, the traffic can, can move at a good clip with the traffic signal, the roundabout, the medians, the posted speed. Hopefully that's gonna do some of the things to be able to respond to some of the citizen concerns that we heard at the, at the public meetings. Yeah, and getting the pedestrians really off the roadway environment too is, is critical from a safety perspective. So that's a real value of the project as well. I get that. I guess I'm just sort of puzzled because we had such a hard time trying to lower it five miles an hour over off Crowfoot. And now we're gonna to go to 45 to 35 without even thinking about it. It's just, mm. I guess I don't understand why it would be a struggle to do it on Crowfoot and here we're gonna lower it 10 miles an hour just because. Well, I'm happy to expand a little bit on that. So, so typically when the, when the roadway is first designed, the design engineer uses the geometry as, w as well as the uh, uh, varying factors to, to set the initial limit. So that 35 is based on what the, what the new design is geared toward. Once the actual roadway is opened up and it's widened, um, it's not uncommon for, for us to come back and actually take a look um, to assess what the actual behavior of the, of, the, of the driver is and the impacts of those speeds um, and potentially adjust it from there. So that, that's what happened on, on Crowfoot is, is the after kind of effect is it was really assessing what the actual conditions were warning. So essentially the designer is taking the best estimate on what is appropriate, but sometimes um, that's a little bit off from what the actual conditions will warrant. So that's why there's a difference in those type, type of factors. That's why it's a little bit easier to, to actually set it uh, differently with the new design, like in this case. Um, and so we're, when we're looking at the design with Crowfoot, we'll be assessing the same thing as well to determine whether a, a change in the actual design warrants an initial uh, change in that, but we're not anticipating that necessarily. Okay, thank you. Thank you, any further questions for Dan or staff? Seeing none, I have no one's time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in a microphone. 
online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone in callers can press star three and state your name and whether you are resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council for a possible motion and, and discussion. Mayor, I move to approve the ordinance as introduced by title. Second. I have a first by Des of the floor, second by Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Number 17, ordinance 2023-20. Ordinance authorizing the exercise of the town's powers of eminent domain to acquire certain real property interests necessary for the Plum East Plum Creek and Sellers Goats Confluence Project. Mark Marlow. Good evening, Mayor and Council. I guess things come in threes sometimes. It's kind of weird. But um, this item uh, is related to a very important project downtown. You guys are familiar with this area. It's at the confluence of East Plum Creek and Sellers Gulch. Uh, it's an area just east of I-25 and kind of uh, where the, the East Plum Creek flows behind um, the downtown area, essentially. And what we're seeing in that area is we're seeing a lot of degradation of that area. Uh, we're getting a lot of cutting from the water and that is drying up the vegetation and destroying the habitat. Um, our long-term stormwater master plan, of course, uh, plans for us correcting those issues. As you guys know, we often go in and we put in uh, infrastructure that helps stabilize the water flow, bring that water back up and maintain the habitat, keep the creek kind of where it needs to be, but allow it also to be a natural environment. Um, so that's what this project is really all about. There's some other aspects to this project which are important. Um, there was a lot of master planning done back in 2008 related to some passive recreational uses for that area to improve downtown, provide other opportunities for downtown. As you guys know, the trail that goes along that area is already one of the most popular recreational assets in town. It's always being used by folks. Um, there's a potential with this project also maybe for some uh, dirt that could help with the Crystal Valley interchange, uh, but that's still to be determined. So the overall scope of this project right now, we're in design, we're going through stakeholder meetings, we're doing survey work, utility investigations, geotech evaluations, permitting work, and in order to build this project, we do have some properties that we need to deal with. Now, most of the parcels, there's about 12 parcels here, most of them are owned by governmental, governmental entities already, CDOT, Town of Castle Rock, Douglas County. Um, we do have two private properties, believe it or not, kind of located in the middle of all this, just east of I-25, and really just south of the confluence of East Plum Creek and Sellers Gulch. You can see the, the two parcels shown here in the map. One of them is a very small parcel. And the challenge with this parcel, quite frankly, is that we can't get a hold of the property owner because the property owner's deceased, apparently back a long time ago. And this property has never really been transferred to anyone else. And so really the only way we're gonna be able to get anything out of this property is probably to move through the eminent domain process 
to get ownership of the property and or at least get easements where we need them across that property. That's the small piece. The other piece is owned by a, a private person and we're obviously going to work very closely with that person to get the easements that we need for the project, uh, minimize impacts to their property. Quite frankly, we would really like to buy the property if we can. The property is essentially in an area that is quite frankly undevelopable. You know, it's locked in by the creek and Highway 25 or I-25. Um, it could provide some benefit long-term in terms of additional Preble's mouse habitat and other things that might offset other things that we need to do in the corridor. So that's the second piece that we may need to use it for. Obviously, as Dan just presented, the town very rarely actually has to use the power. Um, this is just authoring, uh, authorizing us to move forward with the process. So if we can't come to conclusion, we can use it. Now, to be clear, for that little piece of property where there's no owner, we're probably going to have to use it. Unless somebody comes forward and lets us know that they own that property, that's going to be what we're going to need to do. This just gives you the highlights of the project schedule and the current design costs. Um, we did take this through Castle Rock Water Commission. Castle Rock Water Commission did recommend council approval, and I'm happy to answer any questions on this one. Sure, Laura Cavey. I promise. This is the area that we've also had discussions with, like the DDA, right, on maybe doing some sort of nature path or, you know, doing some other things down there to kind of enhance that area, right? Exactly, Councilmember Cave. That goes back to this confluence master plan. And the idea is to have some recreational soft surface paths that go through that area so people can look at the wildlife and get on the other side of the creek. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> Any further questions from Mark? Seeing none, I had no one sent to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium. And speaking of microphone, online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone callers. Can press star three and please um, state your name, whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a proposed motion and discussion. Mayor, I move to approve the ordinance as introduced by title. Second. A first by Mayor, oh, sorry, Mayor. <laughs> I have a first by Desi LaFleur, a second by Laura Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on to number 18 in the agenda, Ordinance 2023-21, ordinances authorizing the exercise of, exercise of Town's powers of eminent domain and acquired a certain real property of interstate uh, interests and ne necessary a Plum Creek and to Ruder Hess Reservoir Pipeline Project. Mark. Thank you again, Mayor and Council. So, item very uh, well, actually, somewhat different than the previous item. This is a, a pretty important project for us. As you guys know, uh, may remember in 2008, we spent $45 million to buy storage space in Ruder Hess Reservoir. So storage space, like empty space, it's pretty expensive space. Um, but the bottom line is, long term, we need to get a significant amount of our water supply into that storage space so that we can fill it. 
so that we can utilize that during irrigation season when we have peak demands and we don't have lots of renewable water supply coming down the creek, unlike this year, of course, but um, in most years. So that's what this project is all about. So it's really critical that we get this pipeline built. This pipeline will allow us to bring water from the Plum Creek watershed, our Sedalia reservoirs, all the way over to Reuter Hest um, and fill that reservoir over time. Plan is to put about a thousand acre feet in there per year um, so that we have that water available to us. And ultimately, of course, we want to get it filled all the way up to 8,000 acre feet. We've started this project a long time ago. You guys have approved a number of design contracts. We've been working on the alignment since 2021 really trying to minimize impacts to property owners, but also come up with a very cost-effective alignment that's gonna allow us to build this without breaking the bank, which is difficult to do in this day and age, as we know. 2022, we did a lot of preliminary design work. We actually started having a lot of meetings with property owners, talking to them about this project. Um, we've had this item at Castle Rock Water Commission. We've met with various property owners in the field to look at this. Um, 2023, we ramped up even further. We're moving on now to final pipeline alignment and final design. Um, and of course, survey work, geotech, all that kind of stuff. And we're ramping up discussions with property owners. We've reached a point in this project very similar to what we did with the WISE pipeline. You guys will remember the WISE pipeline that connects us to all the WISE water that we get. Back when we did that pipeline, we went through a very similar process as this for an eminent domain authority. Now the good news is that project had 28 property parcels. We didn't have to use it. We were able to get the pipeline put in place without any trouble. So this just shows you what we're up against here. Here we actually have 38 property parcels, 18 different property owners, um, seven miles of pipeline. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty significant project. Um, and we feel like we need to go ahead and set ourselves up um, just in case we're unable to get the piece of property that we need to. Now, um, again, we're working with all these property owners to minimize their concerns, uh, but ultimately, this pipeline's gonna be below ground. There may be some disruption during construction. Um, obviously, there's things we can do to minimize those disruptions, uh, but ultimately, it will be below ground, and we need to get these easements. This is a very important piece of long-term infrastructure for us that we've invested a lot of money in already in terms of our infrastructure and Reuter Hess. Um, this just shows you again, and, and Mike's gone over the process, but this just shows you the total cost of this project. We're already talking about a $21 million project likely, which is a very expensive project. Um, so we do have to be smart about the pipeline alignment. And we do want to minimize issues in terms of property owners and things, but we also can't directional drill the entire pipeline and drive the cost up um, to levels that far exceed this. So we have to be smart with our money. This is our customer's money. It's our ratepayers' money as well. So we need to make sure this project um, is designed in a way that's cost effective, but also minimizes those concerns. You will see here we've got money budgeted both for our appraisals as well as property owners to do their own appraisals as, as Dan and Mike were talking about 
Um, and so you can see all that there. Um, this just goes back to the process again, uh, reinforcing that. We did go before Castle Rock Water Commission. The property owners are all aware of both, they, they were made aware of the Castle Rock Water Commission meeting, they were made aware of the council meetings, they were made aware of this process. And just a reminder, we have to come back to you guys anyways if there's any specific properties that we really need to go forward with, with the process. So Water Commission recommended approval and I'm happy to try to answer any questions. Questions, Mar uh, Max Brooks. That uh, Mr. Marlow, thank you. Uh, council received uh, a letter, a document from Happy Canyon Homeowners Association, I believe it was earlier today. Uh, would you please address the concerns that that document stated? I assume that you received that as well. Absolutely, thank you for that. Um, so the, the, the letter you received today is from um, Mr. and Mrs. West, uh, two residents of Happy Canyon, and they're also in charge of the HOA up there. Um, in Happy Canyon. They live on the uh, northwest corner of a, of a location where there's a emergency gate between the town of Castle Rock and Happy Canyon. It's basically right at the edge between Sapphire Point, and I'll go back here. Um, Sapphire Point Boulevard, you see on the map here, that's about the location we're talking about. Um, we have to provide emergency, so Castle Rock Fire has to provide emergency services to Happy Canyon. But the homeowners in Happy Canyon don't want that road connection to be used for traffic from Sapphire Point up through Happy Canyon. So they went through a process to make, ensure that a gate was put in and that the gate is only allowed to be used for emergency services. We are not proposing to remove the gate. We're not proposing to take the gate down. Um, we are potentially proposing to run the pipeline south of the gate, and it might end up crossing the asphalt drive that runs up to the gate. Now, that would be a temporary construction issue to get the pipeline across it, and then put the asphalt back exactly like it is today, as good or better than it is today. So it's a temporary construction issue. We do this all the time with roads all over the place where we have to close a road briefly to build a pipeline across the road, get it in place, you put the backfill back on and you're good to go. The property in question is not owned by the Wests. It's actually owned by another property owner. The property, they indicated that the property that this asphalt drive is on is in Douglas County, unincorporated. That's actually not correct. It's in the town of Castle Rock. Um, but that doesn't, that's not really important to the concern. The concern is they want to make sure that the gate is protected, that the gate continues to be an emergency only access, and that construction traffic, other things don't go through the gate. That can all be controlled as a part of construction. Um, Castle Rock Water will certainly ensure that the asphalt drive is put back as in as good or better condition than it is today. Um, crossing it may take a day or two, get the pipeline across. Thank you for that. Laura Keevy. So you know I have a personal interest in this. Um, 
My concern is any of the eminent domain that's going to affect the properties in there, right? And then obviously we've already had the discussion about the impact on the horses that are in there, including mine. <laughs> um, when you're talking about eminent domain in here, because I talk to Annie, you know, I see her all the time, and uh, she thought after a discussion with you guys that it was kind of going to end up going along like the side of her property. So technically it wouldn't really affect her property. We would just have to be careful about the horses that are on the property. Is that still accurate? I have my project manager, Josh oh. Hansen, here tonight. He didn't know he was going to get called up here. So Josh, come on up here for a second, just to answer that. I, I will be clear on this, uh, Councilmember McCavey. The final pipeline alignment hasn't been fully set because we are trying to work through issues like this to work with property owners to minimize those kinds of impacts. Do you know, are we actually on Annie's property? Yeah, we've had discussions with her on, we're, try, we're staying off the southern portion of her property, but following that, that easy, following the fence line, I think there's an equestrian uh, there's an existing equestrian trail easement already that we would be following that easement up the east portion of her property. So, so it shouldn't affect her property because it's just going along. It is. A, I mean, it is a portion of her property. We've we've narrowed it to you know a 30 foot strip essentially, but it would still be it's, it's still a 30 foot. It would be a 30 foot new encumbrance on her property on the east portion of her property. She's aware of that. We've had, I've had numerous conversations with Annie in the yep. last few months, so. And um, she's okay with that? She's made some adjustments, I know, to her fencing already, um, setting back some of the fencing on her, I guess that's the northeast, the it northeast is. pastures. Yep. I think she's already set back some of those fencing, so. Yeah, so she's, she's definitely aware of We've done what we can. We've, we've moved it off the southern portion of her property to avoid um, into that uh, kind of into the that lower pasture sapphire point uh, right. strip there to avoid impacting the southern pastures. So we've been working with, you know, we've been working with uh, these the Happy Canyons ranch owners for a while trying to minimize or trying to overlap as many existing easements as we can and minimize, you know, new encumbrances. But at the same time, you know, obviously, they'd prefer us to run it down the roadways in Castle Rock, but we, go, we have to be responsible financially, too, on this. We can't, as we were talking about, we can't drill under everything and just run it through the, through the roadways everywhere because we've got to be responsible with the cost. So. No, I understand that, and I know I've said that in my email about all this, but those horses are worth a lot of money. Right, and she's made that clear. And I've brought this up to Dave as well that the last thing we want to be doing with taxpayer dollars is paying for a $250,000 horse. Right. Right. So if one of those horses gets injured in the pasture because of the construction that's going on, we're going to have a big problem. And my horse is one of them. So obviously I do have a personal interest in this, right? But I also have an interest on that property in general and the horses in general. And I'm just reiterating this because I know it's, it's, a very important topic for all of the people that are at this barn. So, absolutely, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Any further, any further questions? Seeing none, um, 
I had no one signed to speak and then wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and call to press star three. Just say your name and whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. So, you know, we'll bring it back to town council uh, for uh, possible motion and discussion. I move to approve the ordinances introduced by title and protect the horses. <laughs> Second. Please. Uh, first by uh, Desi LaFleur, second by Kevin Brack, and any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? I could, I'm sorry, I didn't yes, hear please. you. Thank you. Yep. Mayor and Gray? Yes. Uh, number 19, resolution uh, on the agenda, resolution 2023-103, resolution approving the service agreement with Dewberry Engineers, Inc. for the Young Memon Infrastructure Improvements, Bell Mountain Raw Pipeline and Bell Mountain Flow Meter Vault upgrade projects. Mark. Thank you, Mayor and Council. I apologize for the mouthful of the title. We were trying to be economical with our design services and get more engineers in, in interested in this project by combining a number of design projects into one contract. I'm going to start with the biggest piece of this, which is rehabilitation and replacement in the young American neighborhood. And briefly, I just wanted to make sure you guys understand, we have a long-term plan for water rehabilitation and replacement. This is a big issue. Obviously, we're, in, we're starting to age. When I first got here, the pipelines were very young. Now they've already grown in age by over a decade, so we're starting to really need to focus on rehabilitation and replacement. We do not want to be like some of the places in the United States where that has not been taken care of, and then they have to spend a fortune and raise rates a whole bunch in order to account for this. This, ha this plan is focused on pre-1976 pipes. Um, we have a whole bunch of things we take into account to prioritize which pipes need to be replaced first. Um, the bottom line is over the next uh, 10 years, we have about $14 million worth of pipeline replacements you can see on this map. A lot of them are in the downtown or areas surrounding downtown. Um, same thing on the sewer side, and here you can see a very similar thing. For sewer, we're talking more about $16 million over the next 10 years, a little more expensive. Um, but again, we are going to have to keep up with this. This is really just the start to this process because pre-1976 is pretty old stuff. But as we go forward, we're going to get into the 1980s stuff. 1990s stuff, all that done. All right, this is the Young American neighborhood. This is located right just north of South Ridge Elementary along South Street in that area, which is kind of northwest of Gilbert. Um, so, or northeast, excuse me, of Gilbert. Uh, all this stuff was installed in the 70s. It doesn't really meet our current standards. We've had some breaks and issues there. It's not properly valved, so it's difficult to turn stuff off to get it fixed. It was recommended as one of our top three priorities um, for rehabilitation and replacement of our pre-1976 stuff. Most of the pipe is actually undersized anyways, because eight inches is the minimum size for us going forward. Scope, design new system in there, replace all the water, deal with all the services, reconnect them, 
evaluate the existing sanitary sewer and look at what we need to replace on the sanitary sewer side. This project also ranked in the top 15 for sanitary sewer of projects that need to be done. Um, you can see we have 175 homes in the area. So that's the first project. Second project has to do with Bell Mountain. I do want to remind you Bell Mountain residents are paying for the cost to connect to the town, as you know, through system development fees. This project is not anything to do with that, however. This project is to connect um, wells that we purchased long before we purchased or uh, agreed to serve Bell Mountain. These are wells that we purchased from United Water and Sanitation District back in 2016. This pipeline is to connect those wells, which currently we can only use by discharging them directly to the creek and floating the water down to our Plum Creek Water Purification Facility. We lose a lot of that water when we do that because it evaporates, soaks into the sands of the creek. This pipeline will connect those wells directly to the Bell Mountain water treatment plant, which we now own and operate, will allow us to have additional supply and put those wells to much better use. Long term, this pipeline may go the other direction and allow us to take supply from the Bell Mountain Ranch wells to a new water plant we will eventually build in Crystal Valley Ranch. So. Lots of benefits to this pipeline. That's what the design of this pipeline is for. And then um, you guys will know we just finished redrilling one of the wells in Bell Mountain Ranch. Um, this is another piece of the infrastructure associated with that well that we need to upgrade. It has to do with the meter pit for the redrilled well and the existing. Uh, working well down there. We have to have separate meters so that we can meter those wells independently and that's what that last design piece is for. We sent it out for uh, proposals. We got one from Dewberry that we think is competitive. This shows you how the money is being broken out. Um, and where it's coming from. We do need to do a budget transfer for this. We're recommending doing that from our advanced metering infrastructure project, which we're not able to pursue this year because the meters are not available from the manufacturer. So we've got money there that we can put into this. And then we want to use some of our variable frequency drive replacement funds. We did take this to Water Commission. They recommended approval and staff's recommending approval as well, but I'm happy to answer any questions. Any questions for Mark Marlowe? Seeing none, I have no one to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium. And speaking microphone on non-users may use a raise your hand feature and phone and call press star three. And please state your name, whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a vote and uh, or for a Mayor proposed motion. Approve the resolution introduced by title. Second. I have a first by Mayor Pro Tem Bracken, a second by Des LaFleur. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Time is now 10 o'clock. We need to extend the meeting. Um, by a unanimous vote. Anybody like to, to um, make a motion? I move to extend the meeting until 10.30. I have a first by Councilmember Deed, second by Councilmember LaFleur. Um, roll call vote, please. Cavey. Cavey seconded. Oh, sorry. I did. Cavey says a second. Okay. My goodness. <laughs> 
Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. No. Mayor Gray. Aye. I believe the motion fails if it's not unanimous. Is that correct? Thank you. Okay. Time is now 10.01. I'll set the motion to adjourn the meeting. So moved. Do you need me? I have a first, but from Mayor Pro Tem Bracken, a second by Desi LaFleur. Um, roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes. You know. We are adjourned. Thank you for hard work tonight, guys. Thank you, everybody.